2: Live.
3: Welcome to the
1: Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. and the Sixth Doctor. Welcome to the Golden Collective podcast. What, I hear you say? No Merlin music at the beginning? No, no, no. There's been a change, my dear. It seems not a moment. Well, yeah, you know the rest of that quote. Anyway, Dave's here. Hello, Dave.
2: Yeah, I think the Collective have been uh, rather overindulging over the New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2013. But it's left a little bit of our collective, a little bit in the doldrums, we think. And Ian will explain. Yes. Um. And as these
1: things happen, uh, yeah, you know, we're we always at the whim of if, if whoever shows up. Uh, we'd like to make our show a big, nice roundtable discussion about, you know, whatever the topic happens to be. Um, unfortunately, we don't have an awful lot of people on uh, audio today to talk about Merlin. So Dave and myself, and perhaps um, another person or two, uh, we will be getting together later on. Uh, to do a studio recording of our thoughts of uh, the wrap-up of the series Merlin. So stay tuned on the feed for that. But until then, we've got people on audio. We've dragged them kicking and screaming on on audio to talk about basically 2012. It was last year, you know. I'm not used to writing 2013 yet. But uh, yes, let's see who those people are. Joining us on audio, it's Mr. Doss, skeptical. Hello, sir. Oh,
4: good sir, and happy new year to you.
1: Happy new year. Also joining us,
4: Jeff, the seventh doctor.
1: Well, isn't this just wizard? Yes, I'm here. (laughs) How are you, Ian? Suffering through your bad gags. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh. Ouch. (laughs) Yes. Um, Apparently later on we'll have some what what what?
2: (laughs) We we need everyone we can get, all hands to the deck. Don't insult anybody in.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty alrighty alrighty. Well, uh, everybody else right now
1: is uh, is under the cone, but uh, we're we're sure we're gonna coax them out quite soon. But let's see who is under the cone.
5: Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the Cone of Silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right.
3: I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable Cone of Silence. What?
1: And joining us on the Cone... Uh, I am, uh, am I human? I'm not sure. Uh, oh, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, am I human is with us. Uh, Logan is here. Hello, Logan. Uh, Cybob, of course, is holding down the fort. Mr. Randall Thor has promised a little audio later, and we're hoping Willis Girl will join us topside. Until then, there's only one more person to introduce, and that's the Typing Monkey is news time.
2: Go, Lack of Topic Monkey, go. I'm still laughing at your remark about Willis Girl. Willis Girl likes what? the top sides. Yeah, I don't think that's very nice. Well, yeah. What? Happy birthday for yesterday, Willis Girl. <laughs> happy I'm, birthday, I'm talking Willis Girl. Okay. Everybody sing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we want to wish her a happy birthday. not actually ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you've got news, Dave.
2: Yeah. Um, well, one, one. Well, two particular. Uh, pieces One is uh, related to the collective. We've got quite a few people that are interested in uh, science as well as science fiction and fantasy. And of course we sadly announced uh, a while ago along with lots of other people that uh, uh, sadly Sir Patrick Moore had died just recently. Uh, just to say that uh, here in the UK uh, later today is um, not the, uh, well I'm hoping it's not the Last Sky at Night episode but it's the Last Sky at Night episode which he will be on It was apparently recorded slightly earlier because of the New Year holidays, so it was actually recorded shortly before his death. So I don't know how much of it will be uh, him on the show and doing an ordinary programme, or whether it will be a tribute to uh, the show and his memory. I'm hoping that they will do a uh, some sort of hour-long special uh, later on it. But if you're a fan of uh, The Sky at Night, uh, then if you can find somewhere watching that, you may wish to do so. The other piece, I've got two pieces to mention, but the other one that's really news or of interest to the collective is um, David Tennant will be back on our screens here in the UK. Yes, on Wednesday on BBC4 at 9pm, he's in a series called, it's a two-part uh, series called Spies of Warsaw, Um uh Written by the enduring Gio Dick Clement and Ian LaFrancis, two-part thriller begins in 1937 in a Poland on the brink of invasion by Germany. Europe sees with intrigue and Colonel Jean-Francis Mercier, I think that's so how you pronounce it, played by David Tennant, is at its heart as the French military attache in Warsaw. Espionage, blueprints, romance, steam trains, secret military manoeuvres, just sounds like an episode of The Court and the Collective, um will be on. Uh, so there's lots to like about this murky and aptly exploited millionaire. While the dialogue is chunky, it is in keeping with the production of a more, sorry, in a production more camp than Stalagluff 3. Ooh, that's a bit of a barbed comment at the end, but basically David Tennant is back on our screens and so there will be some whooping and cheering by his many fans. Uh, the other item is not particularly a news item, but it w- was in my newspaper, so that's why I'm bringing it here, and it's uh, in reference, and I want to just give Logan from the uh, the Media Outsiders podcast call ID 81865, you may have seen me tweet about it, and he did an interview with a guy called Christopher Dennis, who is, uh, I don't know what you call him a, a Superman impersonator or whatever, but he's one of these people that goes and uh, people pose and have photographs taken with him and uh, he goes down Hollywood Boulevard and he was um, uh, in and covered in today's Sunday Times uh, magazine that comes with the Sunday newspaper and uh, just wanted to mention that if you check on the Media Outsiders on Tortue, Tortue ID eight uh, one you'll find um, that uh, Logan did uh, what I thought was a very enjoyable interview with this chap uh, looked a lot like uh, Christopher Reeve, and um, I think uh, it, Logan will probably agree it was one of his uh, best shows, along with some of the other interview shows that he's done. So, not really a news item, other than that um, the the impetus for it came from my Sunday paper. Okay. And I hope my audio is not too bad, is it? Am I breaking up for you, Ian?
1: Uh, No, I keep hearing you hitting your mic, and it sounds like you're just a little off mic. It
2: might well be me searching around for the piece of paper. Ah. But I was looking for the magazine. Sorry about that. You
1: seem to sound a little further away than you normally are.
2: You see, uh, like spies of Warsaw, Ian and myself send secret messages to each other during the show. You didn't know that, did you? (laughs) Oh, here's another pigeon. Oh, that joke didn't go down very well, did it? I missed it, <laughs>
5: but
1: his aim's improving. <laughs> Anyone, do you like pigeon pie?
2: i trying to get Mike good. on the show?
1: <laughs> oh dear, it's going to be one of those shows, folks. Yes, 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 it is. All right, is that all for your for your news then?
2: Yes, indeed. That's quite a bit, I think. Uh, last Sky at Night, and the first new drama with David Tennant in for some time. I think that's pretty good stuff.
1: Yep. Um, I was looking for something, but I'm um, unable to lay my fingers on it right at this moment. Um, if you can fill in with something, when well, I find it.
2: <laughs> it's, it not pre- it's not a present for Woolies Girl, is it? No,
1: no, no.
2: Sorry. Sorry. Right, well, okay. Well, um, just to elaborate somewhat on what we said at the beginning, uh, please, um, uh, when you check this on the feeds, it might still have said, if you got it very quickly, uh, Merlin Series 5 Review. That's because um, I can't alter the title of the show while we're uh, recording it. But uh, as soon as I can uh, check the feeds, uh, we will uh, change it to say that we are going to, as we are, as you heard, uh, this is the very first episode of 2013 we're going to sort of do a, a sort of a collection of uh, semi-related stuff that comes with uh, what is the year end and what is uh, looking forward to things in 2013. Remember, of course, it's the awards see- season coming up. have got the Globe and Golden Globes coming up next Sunday on the 13th of January. Uh, the Oscars won't be too far behind that. And one of the things that we were always going to talk about on an upcoming show, is uh, about some of the things that we have enjoyed through the year. In actual fact, I think it's about two years, it's about 2010, uh, since we last did a sort of backwards review of the year. And Dar Skeptical has also uh, provided us with a couple of links that uh, maybe he will introduce for us in a moment or two. And uh, they will lead us on... Uh, Still a relatively small number of people in the room. And Ian uh, has sent me another pigeon. Let me just read this now. I found it. Oh, well done.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, this is something I stumbled across um, uh, earlier in the week. It was actually posted uh, uh, December 31st uh, from Toby Haydick. Uh, those of you uh, who remember, uh, we interviewed him quite some time ago. Um, the man who uh, came up with uh, mosset my Doctor Who scarf and uh, also his new show, My Stepson Stole Stole My Sonic Screwdriver. Um, And he has a a new post on his blog at uh, tobyhadop.com under Doctor Who, uh, the post being called, A Stupid Idea. Uh, And I'll briefly uh, uh, gloss over what what it says here for reading out the the first part. Uh, A couple of days ago, a gentleman called uh, uh, John Keefe uh, posted on Twitter, Doctor Who's 50th weekly podcast with... Uh, everyone throughout the history of the series interviewed by Toby Haddock. Make this happen, Internet gods! And in an absence of input from uh, such invoked cyberspace deities, I have decided to rise to the challenge myself. Now, obviously, I can't do everyone ever, so I promise to do this. I will post a podcast every week in which I will interview someone from Doctor Who. My aim will be to get every single story name-checked over the course of the next 52 weeks, name-checked through first-hand personal recollection. Big Finish have kindly offered to host uh, the resulting interviews in their podcast. Obviously, it would be very simple to go for companions or producers or major contributors, and I'm indeed hoping for a full quota of them, Uh, but that would be relatively straightforward to achieve and fairly predictable. So I want miners to rub shoulders with with giants, Uh, bit-part actors, vision mixers, uh, floor managers, Anyone with new stories to tell, fresh perspectives, or even illustrious career outside of who uh, that are so interesting that we barely touch on the doctor himself during our conversations. And if I do get a companion, I won't be asking what their favorite story is, that is for sure. And that's where uh, you, the people listening to this, and uh, the people, of course, reading his blog, uh, come in. He needs your help. Uh, Anyone that... uh, Basically the, the brief is anyone that you know of uh, that has been involved with Doctor Who that may not have necessarily been um as he says, you know, a major player um to get in contact with them. I've put the, the link to his blog in um in the text in a in the text chat. Um uh, if you if you know of anybody, you know, who's been involved in the history and, and might like a, a chance to, to, to get on um and say their piece. Uh, drop Toby a line. Um, there's no money involved in any of this. That's um, just you know they're making this uh, available and uh, and it's it, it's a fun thing to do. So if if you do know anybody, uh, get in touch with Toby and also be on the lookout for the results. Uh, you can uh, follow Toby Hedrick on um, on Facebook and on Twitter and of course at his blog site at uh, tobyhedrick.com that sounds like an interesting thing uh, i like the idea that he's um trying to do it you know in a, a less popular way of, of of just getting the big names to, to to mention all the stories that they've been involved with and you know that would be easy done in probably about you know half the time so yeah
3: okay. um
1: he, he'd like to do things over skype um or if uh uh, the people are in like London or Manchester he could do do something you know um, close by uh, but so yes, if you have any I- information, uh, get it to toby
2: right uh, that remind me of two things uh, both related to people from who have been up to I think it happened between our shows that um, uh, John Barrriman uh, was injured in a panto fall, so we don 't that was mentioned last week. Um, he fell during a performance of Jack and the Beanstalk at the Glasgow Theatre. I don't think he's too badly hurt, but whether it's, uh, you know, uh, taking him off stage for a short while. Uh, and one other piece, um, here in the UK on Friday we had the Graham Norton show and one of his death guests was Billy Piper, of course, played Rose. And uh, I don't think this is spoilish, but she, she was basically asked, had she been approached yet to appear on the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, and she said no, she hadn't been approached. Now, whether that is relevant or not, I don't know. Maybe she yeah. approached that. Pr- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a panto fall, not a prat fall, yeah.
1: <laughs> I I did offer it um, through um, the Facebook page to uh, give it better. Um, I haven't heard back yet.
2: Okay, Time to elevate our show a little bit I think. Elevate, sorry <laughs> So we had a number of ideas talked about prior to the show as we scrambled around we, uh, again, uh, we've got about uh, nine people in the room but unfortunately only uh, 2 or 3 of us uh, have uh, watched uh, Series 5 and Merlin so as we say that will be discussed so uh, apologies to those who've tuned in avidly to hear about that um, of the of the ideas that we're going to go to one of the things that was suggested just to get us everybody to speak first um, was um, maybe any thoughts about our highlights of 2012 and then maybe I can prevail upon Darth to choose which of those uh, lists that he's put in he, he, he thinks that we we could uh, dissect first of all but um, let me go to to, to Jeff uh, and maybe just ask, uh, Jeff. You know, uh, whether it's been on TV or film or books. Even there are people who still read books. You know, did you manage to put down Fifty Shades of Grey and watch any movies? So, what were your highlights?
0: <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> that book is so popular, I can't get a hold of it, even if I wanted to. <laughs>
2: uh, in the UK, it just announced that. I think it was in pounds, not dollars. Uh, it, this last year it made £47 million, I think it was pounds, might have been dollars. And that is more than the, uh, the final, when the final Harry Potter book came out about five years ago, that made £42 million. But of course, that's not adjusted for inflation. We'll talk about inflation. In the last five years, we've gone down, haven't we? Aren't we aren't inflated. We've deflated. But there you go. Anyway, Jeff.
0: I'm not sure if deflating is better than inflating or not.
4: (laughs) Um,
1: I'm saying nothing. Children's show.
0: (laughs) Okay, sure. Well, I I would say the biggest surprise for me, and maybe I'm a little late coming to the party, is uh, for for the last year is Sherlock. Um, I brought home from the library system here in in the county that I live in, uh, both seasons of Sherlock over the Thanksgiving break. And uh, my wife and I watched both seasons in rather short order, and we were both stunned by this show. It was so good. Uh, I, I That is really the highlight for me of the last year is, is Sherlock. Uh, it, ju- it was just unbelievable to me uh, how well acted the show was how well written it was um it just blew me away
2: any doctor who highlights then because that was part of the question which i didn't actually repeat but we had talked about that uh, if people couldn't uh, suggest any films that they've been seeing that they may at least have a highlight of uh, doctor who that has been for them over the year
0: well i i think i'm going to be uh different than most people when it comes to dr who my highlight for this past year was asylum of the daleks i still think that was the best written um the best paced story from the last year i I really enjoyed that quite a bit and um when we talked about it uh, when we reviewed the show a few months back i had mentioned that uh my wife doesn't typically watch rewatch Doctor Who, and when this aired here in the States, it was of course on BBC America, they play the episode back to back, they'll repeat it right after they show it, and we both sat down and re-watched it again because it was, if, at least for us, that good. We really enjoyed that episode. It really enthralled us and kept our attention both times.
2: Excellent. Well done, Sunday. I'm actually surprised that you didn't mention something else, because I believe you went to a special screening in the cinema of a different sci-fi show. Wasn't that one of your highlights?
0: I would say so. Um, In fact, that was the only times that I've gone to the theater this past year. I I don't get to the theater very much, Uh, but I did go to um, the screening for Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, They aired uh, two first-season episodes in July at the theater, uh, and then two more from the second season in late November. And what they were doing was they were remastering the show. They went back to the original uh, film negatives and uh, redid the show in high definition, just as if they, the show had never existed. They pieced all the, the pieces of film together in order of the show and remastered into HD and 7.1 surround sound. And to uh, celebrate that, uh, Fathom Events, aired two of the more popular episodes of each season so far released um, on Blu-ray at the theater for a one-night event. And uh, uh, that was very enjoyable for me because I I really love Star Trek The Next Generation, and it was just great to see it on the, uh, the big screen again, or I guess the first time. I'd never seen it on the big screen before.
2: Right, right. Um, and I just want to ask you, Jeff, uh, Ian thinks that my audio is uh, pretty bad at the moment. Is, uh, is it coming unusual to you? Uh,
0: it sounds fine to me, Dave. Now, I'm only operating on about one and three-quarters ears, but uh, uh, it sounds good to me.
2: Okay, well, uh, I'll check my settings. And uh, uh, we, we, Oh, we've got Willis Girl on audio. Um, uh, Willis Girl, hi. Welcome to the room.
5: Easy.
2: Welcome to the room.
5: Oh, hi. Yeah. I, <laughs> I heard you perfectly, Dave. <laughs> I was about to say that the uh, biggest surprise this year was Elementary, um, the uh, CBS version of Sherlock Holmes. I thought I would hate it, and I thought it would be exactly like, um, like the BBC's version of Sherlock, but surprisingly I find that I like Elementary, but not as much as Sherlock because the um, – Episodes for Sherlock are are higher quality because you know there's just three episodes a season. However, um I feel Elementary has been quite a surprise for me because it seems a little bit more uh realistic about um Sherlock Holmes's addiction problem, which uh Sherlock the TV the BBC series doesn't really uh follow that much. It's, Sherlock the BBC series is more or less like a superhero. He doesn't seem to have any um problems outside of uh being very focused on things as far as movies my big highlight for me has been avengers i that that movie was absolutely amazing um second highlight would be uh
2: batman
5: i thought i have completely forgotten about what the movie was about <laughs> been so such a long time since i've seen it but the one thing that stands out for me this year has been uh avengers recently i've seen the hobbit which was okay it was a little long <laughs> and um that's about it I- i'll probably think of something else later
2: okay, okay. and uh yeah um so um We want to hear from Darth uh, on this particular aspect. Uh, Darth, what's what's been your highlights of the year so far? Well, not so far. It's over. (laughs) Last year. I
4: suppose it is, yeah. Um,
2: Wow. uh, Kind of a lot of
4: things, really. Um, I I suppose for me, the number one highlight, and this is going to sound a little strange, maybe, but uh, the number one highlight for me is probably the return of the um, Avatar universe, the proper Avatar, the non-James Cameron Avatar, that is the uh, Avatar of the Last Airbender uh, universe in Legend of Korra, which is a Nickelodeon animated show, um, that I, I just found the animation, in it, 2D animation, but nevertheless, uh, just gorgeous animation, really transported me back into the world of that universe, but it's a world that's slightly more... Adult than the original series, which was what was it seven five years ago. Now that that original series concluded, so there's been a big gap between the two series. And you know, one of the more enjoyable aspects of that particular universe is that, unlike a lot of American television shows and British, well, even Doctor Who, that, that propose a, an idea. At the beginning of the series, and never get you to the end of that idea. They they just continually, you know, take you on this sort of lost like journey where you are never coming to the conclusion of, you know, what got you hooked in the series. The great thing about Avatar, the Avatar universe, the guys behind the Avatar universe is that they want to tell a story, and so you will get to the end of things. And it's been. I've really quite enjoyed this, this newest iteration, and it, it's not over yet, but yet, you know, it's come to a conclusion that makes sense for just that one series. It's it, It's been quite a good ride, and so that's been certainly my sort of um, fantasy highlight. Quickly, behind that has been the change in the storytelling style of Star Wars to Clone Wars, I guess, because... Um, that has moved exclusively, pretty much, into a um, a kind of Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who way of telling stories. They have moved into the four-episode serial, um, which has been fascinating to see Star Wars told like Doctor Who. Um, and, and I've enjoyed that. They started it a little bit sort of last year. But not every single one of them. And by last year, I mean, of course, the 2011 2012 series. Uh, but not every single thing in that series was, you know, a four episode arc. But so far this year, it's all four episode arcs. And it's it's been fascinating to have Doctor Who told like. I'm sorry, have Star Wars told like Doctor Who. Of old, at least. So that's been really cool. Um, I, I suppose another. I don't know if highlight's quite the right word, but well, I I'll, I'll I'll keep on the positive side and say, you know, the other highlight in the world comedy, no doubt, absolutely, positively, the funniest stuff going on, the Daily Show. Unbelievable. Seriously, I have had to exit the room from laughing so hard at Jon Stewart. During the elections of 2012, I've, I've never seen topical comedy on that level be that funny. Just day after day after day, finding the ridiculousness of what is going on with this election that, you know, of course, cost billions of dollars and changed absolutely nothing. And yet mining that for just the best gold ever and I don't think it's available on Hulu outside of the United States but it certainly is available on Hulu within the United States and also I think also on the Comedy Central website you can still find back episodes but that last two weeks, everything from the time that Obama imploded at the first Denver convention until he won that every single day was comedy of the most spot, uh, side-splitting,
5: beautiful
4: nature imaginable. Just, just crazy good. I cannot heap enough praise on it. Probably the funniest comedy I've ever seen, ever on, on national television in uh, in in America on a regular basis, where you really have to you know get in there and write. And then the thing is, they're writing under time pressure, right? I mean, it's not even you know, okay, we're six months out and, you know, we're filming in, you know, February for delivery in September. None of that crap. It is, we're filming tonight, you know, writing today for delivery tonight and what we're serving up is the best stuff ever. Ridiculous. Seriously ridiculous. So that is unquestionably my comedy highlight. Um, and I suppose in film, you know, the highlight is, of of like the best stuff that I've seen. The highlight is two things that are diametrically opposed. One would be, and they're both sort of vanish in their own way. One is um, The Avengers, which I just thought pulled off almost the impossible to make a good movie featuring, you know, suited superheroes um, from, you know, mainstream comic books and, you know, making a compelling story Out of that, I I thought was pretty amazing, really. I mean, it's not a perfect film by any standard, but it is still way better than one could have imagined. Um, And then my other sort of favorite, just sort of revelatory moment is a film, a Judy Dinge film, which is not Skyfall, but uh, I can't ever remember the exact name of it. I just know it's Marigold Hotel. Uh, I can't remember the entire name. of it. That's not it. But it's 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 basically you know her and Bill Nye and you know uh, what's her name from Downton Abbey and Harry Potter and every and Room with a View and her. Yeah, it's of the
2: young guy from um, uh,
4: so from, from uh,
2: Millionaire. Thumbnail- Millionaire exactly. exactly,
4: and and that was what was so so gorgeous about it was it was you know all these dons from the British film industry on location in India with the up-and-coming uh, people from the Indian side of cinema, meeting together in a story that was just brilliant, um, really brilliant. And I, I love the cinematography. I love the, the, the uh, direction. Um, I love Dev Patel, his whole reaction in, in, you know, just toe-to-toe with the best actors from England really just right up there stealing the show out from underneath them but yet at the same time you know what uh, judy dench and her comrades were providing were still of great value bill nye giving me something i mean sort of bill nye as he kind of always is but at the same time just a, a really delicate performance just gorgeous gorgeous you know in terms of Acting and being like, you know, an acting geek and you know following the cult of good acting, if you will. Um, I I, I love that movie. I really did, um, and and didn't expect to, but was pleasantly pleasantly surprised by that. Uh, uh,
2: jeff he, has put in the full title by the best exotic but, Yeah, so.
4: there you go. The best, and I can never remember the exact thing. Um, and it sort of is important because that is – that is the name of the, the actual institution is the Miracle Hotel, obviously, but the, the best exotic thing is the, the sort of – the pitch that Dev Patel's character, who is the manager of that hotel, is giving in order to, you know, um, sex it up and to, to keep it going and, and whatever – um, it's sort of an ironic title because it is in no way exotic and it is in no way the best hotel possible. But it, it's it's good fun and, and a really nice movie to see, uh, you know, when, when you're sick of watching, and surely we must all get sick of watching genre stuff. I mean, surely at some point you have to hunger for, like, a real proper film. And this is a great one to watch in that regard. And then on the other side, you know, I mean, highlight... In, in some ways means, you know, what did you, what were you anticipating? What was important? And, of course, the two things that come to mind there are The Hobbit and Skyfall, you know, just because we've been following that forever and ever and ever in their torture development uh, path and all that stuff. And, you know, in both cases, they were sort of good but not great films. Um, so there, you know, the lingering memory will be anticipation and, you know, maybe not living up to that anticipation, but not being thoroughly disappointed. Um, though, you know, th- this this year will also, I think, be remembered for the whole, you know, high frame rate thing. You know, is it good to go in a high frame rate? Is it worth the money? Um, and to, for me, the answer is absolutely freaking not. I mean, ridiculous how bad I think that The Hobbit looks in high frame rate. Um, and, I, you know, Peter Jackson comes out with his line saying, look, you got to stick with it. you got to go with it for 10, more, 10 minutes or more. You know, you've you got to let your eyes adjust to what it is. And it's like, my eyes aren't that bad. My eyes are completely able to see what it looks like at the beginning of the film, what it looks like at the end of the film, and to know it looks cheap in high frame rate, and it wasn't worth paying additional money for. Um, so, you know, it, if we say the highlight of a year is you know, a lesson learned, that is certainly Payment lesson learned: High frame rate is crap. It is not a a a you know a valid reason to pay money. Now, 3D, I think, with the same movie, and this is an interesting point with with The Hobbit, um, is clearly a developing technology. It is not static. It is not where we were. Even you know th- this time last year, I would have been saying that 1010 in 3D was great and it was fantastic in 3D. But I would say The Hobbits, you know. 3D-ness is ridiculously good. And we know that changed the technology for filming that 3D, um, that film in 3D. And that change of sort of bringing the the cameras closer together, which was the the big innovation, you know, put very simply, um, so that the cameras more closely emulated the distance between your actual eyes um, was a resounding success because the 3D in that film it it works like it's supposed to. It's not it's not exaggerated. It's not you know unrealistic three D, it's not sort of event driven three D. It is natural three D. You know, the most natural three D I've ever seen. So sort of a, you know on the technology front of film, it's like a game of two halves, um, where the Hobbit's concerned. Um but, you know, i I think on doing that same sort of thing on TV, what is it that you were anticipating and what is it, you know, that you'll remember 2012 for, but sort of negatively. And I would have to say Dr. Who. I mean, Dr. Who has been an abject failure for me in 2012. Um, All of the things that I was continuing to give Moffat benefit of the doubt for on, you know, the pond um, storyline and how that would maybe make some sense someday. Clearly has ended and it doesn't make any sense And it ended in a, I think a completely Pedestrian way that One knew it would end Like just by knowing What enemies Were to be faced in their final episode It was so predictable It was so blah And more importantly It, it really didn't Give us anything Meaningful I mean to me Doctor Who it, in 2012 was basically giving up it was basically saying all right we're done with these characters i didn't really explain them well but we're moving on from this point their story is now over and so we had like you know this five episode really long goodbye that um you know it was kind of like the 2009 specials where you know as much as I will defend Planet of the Dead and, and maybe to an extent The Next Doctor, I mean, I still know that all of those... Well, I, I think that End of Time is actually good. But, I mean, the the other three specials in that year were, you know, they were time fillers. They were they were stories that did not really advance anything. And I think that that's kind of what happened here. Um, so, for me, Doctor Who is... is this is the first year... First of all, we have to point out, and this is an, a thing that I don't think anybody, maybe people have commented on this, but I'm not seeing a great deal of comment on this. 2012 was the least amount of Doctor Who that we've got in a year where Doctor Who aired since 1996. Right? I mean.
2: I, I think that it, was talked it, about early on because it was skewed, what? wasn't it? The episodes were skewed to move more into 2013. So I think we talked about it in that sense.
4: Maybe, but yeah, I mean, it really quite a, quite a disappointing, um, you know, amount of Doctor Who and uh, what was there, to my mind, didn't do anything. I mean, they could have, at the end of the day, you could have just said goodbye to Amy and Rory in 2011 and, you know, started afresh with somebody new and the show would probably have been better for it. So. You know. Clearly Doctor Who is is the sort of the least favorite thing of my favorite things that I've watched on television. And instead this has been really a year where, you know, we've seen great resurgence in comedy, led by the John Stewart Show, but I think also community, I think also, um pretty rock still ticking along quite nicely. Um and I, I think it's also been a year where um you know, I don't know, maybe maybe there's just been, it's, it certainly has been the increasing year of moving to non-standard, um, non-terrestrial broadcasters for most of your entertainment, with the exception of NBC's great um, Thursday comedy lineup. Um, basically, this is, you know, we're continuing the trend of going to HBO, going to AMC, going to... Um, uh, other networks, FX, other networks that are really cable networks, and in some cases, premium cable networks, to look for good television. But, you know, hearteningly, there is a lot of good television out there in 2012. It's just that most of it, it is not on terrestrial broadcasters. And I, w- I would sort of include in that, you know, most of it's not even on BBC One. I think this is, you know, on the British side, I think this has been a year where. There's been relatively more good stuff going on on ITV, um, you know, than on on the BBC. I mean, I think, as I recall, this is, isn't this the year that started out with, uh, oh, Doc, uh, Doc Martin's last season? I think this was, that was in two, early 2012 and not late 2011. I can't remember at this point, but,
2: um, I, I think I mean, somewhat I, the BBC output has been skewed by the Olympics, uh, not necessarily mm. because they their last two weeks, but then you have the Paralympics, but the amount of focus and the amount of resources that went into that. Um, and you're quite right, I don't think they have their... their show. I mean, ITV, which has been in the doldrums for years, has probably had one of its better years, if not best years, for quite yeah, some time. yeah.
4: Yeah, it's it's been a real Mike, and then I guess Jeff is pointing out in the chat that I guess 2009 had three specials. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? I suppose. I mean, yeah. I mean, as long as you don't count, I mean January first as a part of the last. As long as you don't use a physical calendar, I guess you're right. If you use an actual calendar, then sure. Um, but yeah. You know, well, yeah. You know, again, that's phys- yeah. I guess I am thinking in terms of a fiscal calendar wherein January first is actually a part of two thousand the year prior to it. But fair enough. Yeah. It's still not that much um, <laughs> output. It's it still significantly like that. Oh no no no. I know what I'm thinking. No 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 no. No, I am no. My point is not just Doctor Who. It is the Doctor Who universe. Because at least in two thousand nine you had Miracle Day I mean, um not Miracle Day, Children of Earth. Children and at Earth. least you at least you had Sarah Jane Adventures going. This year there's none of that. There's no Sarah Jane Adventures. There's no uh Torchwood. It's just Doctor Who that we're relying on for Doctor Who universe. And this is, you know, the least amount of programming in that universe since well, since nineteen ninety six, you know, taking into account that there were a lot of years there where there was nothing at all. But um in fact you know really you'd have to go you could g- go back even further than that because the Sylvester McCoy output was more than this I mean and that's pretty sad when you're saying that 14 episodes I think that's right right 14 episodes is yeah 14 episodes is seven 14 old episodes is seven new episodes and we have only had six So and yeah, had
2: six because eight would be I mean the, this yeah
4: year. I mean really the last year that was so that was better than this one. I mean, that was, what am I trying to say? The last year that was better than this one. I'm not sure how I'm saying this, but you have to go back to season 22 to find more programming than this year, but less programming than 2005, if that makes any sense. Um, it's 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 a terrible year let's just leave it at that. a terrible year for Doctor Who and the content it itself wasn't worth waiting for that's the real point
2: it just
4: really wasn't worth it and
2: well that's the problem is that you, know, isn't it? you put added it pre- when you when you do that and spaced out mm-hmm. you actually put more expectation and added pressure and so even if it is what would be in a weekly you know tw- one of one of 26 episodes you, you know you would say well it was okay but uh, each one has more value or um, expectation loaded upon it.
4: Yeah, and and well, that's true. But the weird thing is, you know, that is the paradigm that Moffat has set up for himself in Sherlock, and he's hitting out of the bar park on both seasons of that, right? So it's not. It's, it's, true. it's weird. It's you know the same guy using a character that is, let's say, he's not the same character, but basically Sherlock Holmes is what? The inverse of Doctor Who, right? I mean, they're very much related. They are two ends of the same spectrum, really.
2: Yeah. Um,
4: and it's essentially the same show, really. I mean, you know, he, here's a guy, he's got a companion. Companion doesn't understand what's going on. He's brilliant. Companion asks questions, you know, that furthers the plot along. It is the same show in a lot yeah. of ways, st- structurally. And yet one is freaking brilliant. And one is really just an incoherent mess with with occasional points of brilliance about it. Um, it's so bizarre to me. I don't understand it. I really I mean well, it's real is, damage,
2: it, isn't it? You can't ride two yeah. horses at once.
4: I don't believe that's true either though. I really don't think so. Uh it's not that. It's something else. It's that it is really fundamental at this point, after Two years where I've been, you know, not great on his stuff, but okay, and and sort of saying, you know, this will all make sense eventually. I know somehow this will all make sense. The 2012 has been the year where firmly it doesn't make sense. Nothing about the Pond era, nothing really about River Song. It doesn't fundamentally make any sense. Okay, and so this is the year of for me, you know. <laughs> in in, in Moffat, I no longer trust. Um,
2: well, I haven't written yeah. Ruth's song off yet. I mean, her story's not over yet. But the How do we know story's that? definitely over and not really solved. But her story, I mean, uh, she she's expected to come back as far as I know. So we she? may still...
4: Well, I didn't know that. Hmm. I,
2: I'm, not, I'm not talking spoilers here. I'm not talking about anything that's been yeah. announced or anything like that. Hmm. No, I'm not a spoiler. I'm, tra- I'm as far as I I understand it, simply on the way the program's gone, that her story isn't over.
4: Oh, you're just guessing. Is what you're
2: saying? Well, yeah. I'm sure there was. I'm sure it was talked about last year that you know uh, that that we would see River Song again.
4: Really, I didn't hear you that. Huh? Interesting. I wouldn't have thought so. But I mean, narratively, I will admit that it is possible from. Um, you know the ending of Angel State Manhattan. You would you would have to assume it could happen, uh, but I, I, I thought that was it. I mean, as far as the character, as far as the actor was concerned, and all that.
2: Well, we've and, never well, had the episode. We've never had the episode where he knows everything about her and she doesn't know anything about him. You know, the opposite of their first meeting.
4: Yeah, but uh, well, we kind of I mean, did.
0: Let's kill Hitler.
4: I, uh, yeah,
3: yes. Well, to, to well on
1: this one, there is there there is a specific uh, event that she mentions of of when he arrived at her door and and gave her the, uh, the the sonic screwdriver and everything before she departed for where we see first see her, and I don't know whether we can assume that because we haven't seen that that it's something that's still to come or that that is maybe the last time that the doctor sees her. I don't know. Mm. Don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all speculation as to whether she will or won't. I mean, they could conceivably just leave her and, and, and that could be it. And, you know, it could be picked up in a, you know, uh, a novelization or, or, uh, you know, big audio or something, you know, um, but let's just say I think there is room for her to come back at some
4: point. Oh, yeah, there's Look room back. for her to come back. I just didn't think that – I didn't think she was. I mean, there was room for an explanation of Amy. There was room for an explanation of everything that's gone on in the Muppet era. But how much of that did we actually get virtually nothing? So, I, I,
0: I, I gave up on learning that whole storyline with Amy and Rory with Season 7A and I guess I just sat back and said, okay, we're not going to learn the full story here, or maybe the story isn't there to learn. And I just sat back and watched the episodes as they were and enjoyed them. I enjoyed 7A better than I did 6B.
4: Oh, I didn't. 6B I thought was quite good. Um, and, And in fact, in general, 6 was paradoxically my favorite Season, but it was predicated always on the notion that you know maybe well either either that was it just you know flatly saying they're not coming back after they were written out in um, God complex or you know that if they were coming back we would get explanations for you know stuff going all the way back to the eleventh hour one of the two things but just to come back to come back. And not only that, but I mean, look at the stuff that they came back to. I mean, my God, the the whole, uh, you know, marital problems out of nowhere and solved in one episode. What was the point of that? Absolutely nothing.
0: That, that was a weakness. I agree with you.
4: Yeah, and I, that's why I don't see how you can, I mean, it's fair play. You can believe what you want. But I, I just find it ridiculous or hard to imagine watching the Silent of Daleks more than once because it's, well, I mean, I, I have watched it more than once. But, you know, enjoying it, because that's such an obvious weakness. I mean, it pops right out at you that you, how can you enjoy that twice? Really, truly enjoy it. I mean, it's it's so lame. It's out of nowhere. Well, I mean, yeah. well
0: it, yeah. it really wasn't out of nowhere if you'd watched Pawn Life, but...
4: Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, come on. I mean, that's only in the final seconds of the final part of pond life um, where it's just the suggestion that something is amiss, but I mean, not even, there's not even dialogue in pond life for it. I mean, there's a worried looking expression. That's about it. I mean, it, it's such I mean, poor, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, look, it's, it's a visual medium, right? And so you, Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes you can say, and and maybe it was enough for you that you can just look at a scene and you can say, oh, I can read so much into that, and I enjoy reading so much into that. Believe me, I mean, I I I, I love comic books, and that's what a lot of comic books is. It's not dialogue. It is, you know, really studying the frame, really trying to get meaning and import out of what is there. But having said that, it is, you know. It is late in the day to introduce that sort of tension and then dismiss it in a matter of 60 minutes and never revisit it. I mean, it's so – it's such – why even bother if that's what you're going to do with it? It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Well, to me, that was such a small portion of that story. Small portion? Yeah. How? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it wasn't dealt with much on screen in that episode. Now, I agree, it, it should have probably taken the full five episodes to resolve that, but the, the, full, the fullness of the story uh, of what's going on with the Daleks and the story of going down to the planet and uh, who um, Oswin is and, and all that, there, there's a lot more going on than that. Just that small portion of the story. And that's what intrigued me about Asylum of the Daleks
4: so well maybe that's more the point then that what intrigued you was not really you know anything to do with the creation that at this point should have been um, you know the most intriguing part of it, but rather it's the new girl, not the old girl, you know which is that's such a, that's such a weird thing to me um. I mean, I, I I understand, you know, this is the year of new things, you know, in a way. Two thousand twelve, we're looking for the new companion, and that's that's good. That's a part of Doctor Who and all that. But you know, surely think think back to Hand of Fear, you know, what it, what you're interested in there, and and again, you don't have the build up. I mean, you do now if you're if you're. Encountering old Doctor Who now, you know how Hand of Fear ends because someone will have told you. Look, go watch Hand of Fear because it's Sarah Jane's last episode. So you are, in fact, enjoying now Hand of Fear in exactly the same way that you would have enjoyed Angels Take Manhattan. You know what happens, um, but in Hand of Fear, it is not at all about. I and mean, of course, Leela doesn't appear. You know, for another whole serial after that. You know, so you don't have the new person in it, but still. None of the excitement in Hand of Fear is, oh, my God, thank God they've gotten rid of Sarah Jane. I mean, that is not it at all. You're, like, completely stunned because it comes out of nowhere. And, and, you know, not now because you know how it ends. But, right. you know,
2: initially, well, you're like, what are they doing? They're getting rid was of that person.
4: Andy,
2: for me, it was the Andy Pandy outfit.
3: Well, wow.
4: <laughs> but, you know,
2: or, or when Joe leaves or, you know,
4: when Barbara leaves and, and Ian, they just, you know, check out at the end of an episode that was pretty bad throughout. And then all of a sudden, you know, that 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 serial in its last 10 minutes takes on this incredible import. But that doesn't at all happen with this. Or I mean, Rose, I can't believe she went Martha. That was stunning to me. I had no clue at the time because I wasn't hooked into any kind of spoilers or anything. Like, I did not know she was leaving. When Martha comes back into the TARDIS and says, you know, look, I'm out of here, man, because you're not returning my love. So I am gone. I was completely flabbergasted. But this stuff with Amy, please, I mean you know trying to drum up some sort of sympathy at the end you know in terms of a normal sort of bit of marital strife over infertility really is that where we're going with that and and it wasn't i mean i would argue in terms of the plot it wasn't insignificant i mean that was you know that was the setup for yet another love conquers all moment you know the the you know the the love of Roy for her will somehow make her immune from the Dalek virus or whatever that was at the end. Um, that was you know that was the the crux of that entire episode really. The thing with the thing with Oswin in terms of plot that really wasn't much of the plot. I mean it was a lot of the screen time, but it wasn't a lot of the plot. Um, so I don't know. I, the, well... Yeah. I,
0: I, I, again, I was pretty much done with their storyline, so yeah, to yeah, me yeah, that didn't yeah. that didn't matter much. I just watched the rest of it and was pleased with what was on the screen.
2: Yeah, your focus, is, well, mine had changed by then. And um, look, guys, uh, do you mind if we bring this little section to a close? And, sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Um, Ian, do you want to just uh, give you your highs and lows of the the year, and then I'll go. And then well, I'm going to ask Darth, uh, because of time, maybe he wants to choose. He's put a number of options for lists in there. Maybe he wanted to just pick the one that he would most like to go with, because we may only have time to do one of them and not more than one. But, um, okay, well, that, sounds, that
1: sounds good. Um are going to be an odd list, because uh, as you've heard me before say, uh, I've got... Um, I don't have TV anymore, so uh, well I have TV. I have a Roku, and I watch Netflix. So I'm like watching old TV a lot. Uh, i not watching a lot of new. Uh, one of the new things that I, I have noticed that's, that's come through, of course, is the uh, the new series, uh, the new animated series of Transformers, Transformers Prime, which I believe is 2012. But anyway, in 2012 I discovered it. So uh, and it's a great little series. I like it. um, uh, a lot of the, the I mean I was a big 80s Transformers fan, you know, the the uh, G1 Transformers and even a bit G2, but then uh the other ones that came along in the meantime, I, I never really kind of gelled with. Um but Transformers Prime I, I I quite like. Um and uh there's also been another new series which just called uh Transformers Rescue Bots, which is basically uh Transformers for toddlers. And Callum absolutely loves it. Um, I've mentioned in passing before that uh, he's quite addicted to uh, Curious George. And so, you know, Curious George and Blue's Clues. But I thought I'd, I'd, I'd put this little uh, show on. As I said, Transformers, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is. Probably more for me than, than for him when I put it on. Uh, but now he, he uh, i has given the choice between uh, George and uh, Transformers Rescue Bots. He wants to watch Bots. And he now has uh, a couple of them uh, that he got for Christmas, and so him unwrapping the present and going, bots, bots, and uh, and, uh, and enjoying those—that's that's great. As a as a as a Transformers fan, it's nice to see my yeah you know, my my little guy getting into you know into something like that, something that we can share. You know, um, although he can't have my Transformers—not yet anyway. He's too small. Um, <laughs> I still have some left over from when I was a kid, and. Uh, Oh, I could probably sell them on eBay, but <clears throat> they're not in the box anymore, and they mean more to meet than anybody, so um, let's see, uh, the end of uh, uh, 2011, actually, I saw the new year in watching, uh, uh, catching up with all the, 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 the Marvel movies, uh, watching uh, the Iron Man movie, uh, I think Iron Man 2 I watched, uh, Thor, and Captain America, and... Um, Thor, of course, being uh, the best, which is odd because I thought it would be the worst. Uh, because it's Thor, it's it's the god of thunder, uh, it's just almost a fantasy character, uh, a, a mythical character. I thought there's no way that they can make this kind of non-cheesy, and uh, they got away with it. And and then of course you know that leads right into to the Avengers, which I never saw in the theater. Uh, my wife bought me the uh, Blu-ray for Christmas, and I think I've watched it probably about four or five times since. Um, and and uh, like what Darr said, I, you know, I, I mean, I just didn't really think it'd be possible to do um, this group superhero thing. I mean, there's this one thing to do the X-Men, and you know, I, I think they did a good job with those, uh, even with X-Men: First Class. Um, but to to throw these individual heroes together into one movie. I thought, this is this, no, not, uh, I don't think this is going to work. And then I started hearing, you know, Logan, Darth, and, you know, and others talking about it. And, well, maybe I, maybe I got to see this. And, um, uh, still, of course, my, 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 my most favorite part in there is, um, is, uh, and spoilers if you, if you haven't seen it, um, divert your ears for about, uh, 30 seconds here. Here we go. Um, is when, uh, the Hulk grabs Loki and just slams him back and forth against the floor. Especially after Loki's just like, "Ah, oh, you just stupid creature, you can't!" Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and of course, the the one part where uh, where um, yeah, is uh, Thor standing next to him and he just boof and, and wallops someone. Uh, the Hulk was just well done in there, and everything was well done. I, I was. Quite, quite happy with that and as as you can tell because I've watched it so many times um, of course uh, the, the as um, Darth and Dave discussed earlier seeing uh, Star Trek on the big screen that was that was fantastic to see um, didn't see the uh, season two stuff um, hopefully they'll have more and I'll be able to catch more of those uh, in the coming year uh, I'm trying to think of things. It's, it's it's difficult. And oh oh, Men in Black. I finally saw Men in Black three, and uh, contrary to what I've seen on on some uh, message boards etc, I I really liked it, and I I found it was a nice way of uh, a, a, actually a pretty good story. And even the even the ending, which some people are quite annoyed with, I I thought it was great because to me, if they wanted to just walk away from that whole franchise right now, they can do that, and it's um, quite nice and encapsulated, you know. Uh, they could do more if they wanted to. I don't think they should, but that's not my decision. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a that was a great movie. I I really actually enjoyed that. Um, uh, the, I can't remember saying name. The guy playing uh, um, young Agent uh, K, uh, brilliant, brilliant, uh, just a great. Uh, a great Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. Um, I'm sure. I think uh, we've covered Doctor Who. I don't want to d- delve back into that, um, except for the fact that I'm glad the ponds are gone and I'm glad that we're moving on. And um, and you know, the, the 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 Christmas story at least is giving me some hope that there's stuff that might be coming up that I might actually enjoy. Uh, um, I've it no secret that, that I'm not really a, a huge Moffat fan, uh, but maybe things are. Gonna be a little better for me this year. Um, hmm. What else, Dave? What else? Uh-huh. What else remind me of something? <laughs> um, I'm trying to th- I'm sure there's there's other things, but I'm I just hard to hard to remember. Oh, I um. Oh, uh, of course, Megacon at the beginning of last year uh was good too. Uh, good time. Um Liam and I roaming the floor. Um uh, yeah, being in on the uh the, the warehouse thirteen panel was great. Um and uh and and getting to see uh, um Robert Picardo and, and having my photo taken with him. That's a personal highlight for me. Um and also having an autograph picture of him sitting up on, on uh, the top of my desk right now which I'm actually looking at uh it's always fun. Sometimes it's fun to meet uh, meet the, the the stars of, of the TV shows that you admire. Other times, sometimes it's a, I don't know, a little disappointing. Um, the Doctor was a good one. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm there are No illusions that that they're you know, oh my best friend uh, because he you know took his photo with me. Um, he's doing a job and that's how he's making money on the side and that's fine. Um, what, what I like is how they conduct themselves, uh, personally with, with somebody. I mean, uh, he did a, a nice job, I think, for the money I paid him, um, and, and I enjoy that, uh, some others you go up and, uh, like one actor I went up to and I, I thanked them and, uh. I'm not sure if it was just he's, his personal skills aren't there or he doesn't know quite how to handle those kind of compliments. Um, but it left me feeling kind of cold. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, his fault or my fault or, or anything. But, um, but yeah, it, it is it is fun to go to these conventions because you get to see all sorts of stuff. Um, so if you've never been to a convention, I'd go to one, especially one of these big media ones where – yeah, there's lots to um, buy, basically, if you want. And then there's these tables where you can just kind of stand back there and, and watch these people signing autographs and uh, and having fun, um, and go to the odd panel and hear a funny story. Um, that's 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 about. I can't think of a whole lot. Um, as I said, it's, it's difficult for me to uh, to know uh, to remember what 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 came out because I normally watch movies when they come out on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, and TV series I'm watching kind of on a time delay um,
2: but yeah it's, uh, that's pretty
1: much all I've got I think for now
2: okay uh, well I'll try and be fairly brief so I'll just give uh, Darth some warning so he can select that uh, list that he feels we, we, can, we can go forward to for the next section of the show, maybe the last section but so on um, here in the UK um, quite a lot of things and um, I actually enjoyed the Olympics. I know some people are still talking about the London Olympic Olympics. and not so bothered now, but I really did enjoy watching those. And I suppose being on home turf, it's great. It always seems to be in the UK. You know, if you, if the England are doing well at any sport, cricket or rugby or something like that, it usually means the the country's gone to hell in a half and a handbag in every other sense. Uh, we never seem to do well in sport. And, and economically at the same time, I do not know why, uh, but I did enjoy that. Um, there's been the, the the things I've most enjoyed on TV uh, of new material has actually been uh, I've been back watching natural history programmes and documentary. Is a uh, uh, supersized Earth was a, a really uh, good series, and um, there was another one going around the Pacific Rim. Uh, two high-definition shows that look absolutely marvellous. And, of course, uh, David Attenborough's Africa has just started. Uh, now, that is really uh, something to watch, really high-quality stuff. Um, I, I also, um, a bit of a softy because I actually enjoyed, um, uh, uh, I don't like um, some sort of historical dramas that become almost historical soaps. But there was one I liked, it was called The Paradise, um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. But it's Oh,
4: yeah, that was very great.
2: Very light, light, fluffy stuff, but I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah, um, what else? Um, disappointments on TV, uh, I tried to watch that turn over. I think that came out this year, seems so long ago now. was disappointed with that when really I thought it should have been uh, a surefire hit. And I was looking forward to it after the disappointment of the um, the one in the UK, the the Outcasts, but I think that was probably from the year prior. Um, enjoyed some films, didn't see many films, but I did did enjoy Tintin, did enjoy the Avengers, I enjoyed Skyfall, um, uh, enjoyed uh, lots of those, uh, enjoyed the Hobbit in 3D, and uh, I take on board what down said because it it didn't seem in your face 3D all the time; they were just One or two really great moments. I think the first one that I really noticed was when this little butterfly flies out. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. Um, And it it really did look very good indeed. Didn't see it in the high frame rate. um, But I've been actually watching a lot of old sci-fi. There's a a couple of new channels come here in the UK. Pic TV and a couple of others. So I've been watching old Star Trek Voyager episodes and... Dark Angel episodes, and of course um, I got, for my birthday and uh, Christmas, I got quite a few, um, I got the whole box set in Blu-ray of the uh, uh, Harry Potter films, so I'm going through those, got Highland the Four series going through those, uh, got some uh, Doctor Who's classic, uh, going through Ambassadors of Death at the moment, and a Mannequin box set, so an awful lot of those, um, what else, um, Oh, and just a little thing to show that the Colton Collective can do even its host some good. Um, I caught quite a few Christmas films after we did uh, an episode talking about Christmas movies and uh, the film I enjoyed just two nights ago, Darth I hope will be very pleased to hear was Bad Santa. I thought it was hilarious. As he said, extremely bad language, but um, oh so funny, very, very politically incorrect, but I did Really, I think I've seen bits of it before, but I don't think I'd ever seen it all the way through. So, really did enjoy that. Um, and I think that's probably about it. Oh, uh, one last thing. I was uh, Not, I've seen it yet, but I am very pleased that uh, Luther is coming back for Series 3 uh, because uh, that's something that, um, along with uh, Sherlock, uh, I really enjoy. Uh, Doctor Hill, quite rightly, I think people... Um, the biggest highlight for me I suppose was The Ponds of Gone not because I didn't like them but I think they overstayed the welcome somewhat and it was lovely to see what I believe will be a a new favourite of mine uh, General Louise Coleman Um, it's difficult to pick which of the the recent episodes I've liked the most most of them I didn't like at all on first watching because I always have my uh, you know tongue-in-cheek or biting my lip or whatever the expression is uh, I was surprised how quickly uh, the snowmen went from being some quite ghastly scenes on it to me uh, relaxing and enjoying But um, all in all, a lot of things uh, the most remarkable thing from our collector's standpoint is um, uh, for many people I'm glad that 2012 over because quite a few people in the collective, you know who you are, have had quite a difficult year with uh, different things going on in their lives and illnesses and pains and relatives with illnesses. And uh, of course, uh, Lewis, uh, who I give as an honorary member of the Colton Collective uh, with Podshock. And by the way, um, I was going to be on a Podshock later today, but Lewis has moved that back one further week. Podshock Live uh, reviewing the snowman will be next sunday sunday the 13th so all in all um not a classic year but it was an unusual year being an olympics year here in the uk so um i don't know whether any of those like jeff and willie were on audio uh they've listened to an awful lot there they've had their say but have they got a quick additional thing they want to mention before i ask darth to perhaps uh repost the link of whichever one of those um, ones you think might be the best one to move forward with Jeff have you got any more to add
0: yeah I do have something to add and that is um, the end of the great series uh, from the sci-fi network Eureka uh, it's a bittersweet ending uh, I know that some people have not seen it and gonna reveal any spoilers for it, but uh uh I really enjoy you're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed that series from beginning to end and it's really sad to see it go. Um had a great run and I I'm upset again at the Sci Fi Network because this is another series that they've produced that's just fabulous and they've cut the, the uh run of the show short. Uh, this was supposed to go for another season, and one day after they announced that uh, last season, they said, oh, no, we're not going to do it, and then they came back and said, okay, we'll give you one more episode. Um, uh I just have a lot of fond memories of that show, and I'm sorry to see it go.
2: All right. Uh, I would just add in as well, uh, the, the the new Stargate uh Atlantis, uh, 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 it took me a long time to get into that, but then they cut that short, didn't they? Uh, We've got Mike Mandator coming on audio, who may want to have his say, so just let me, while he gets unmuted, uh, ask Willis Girl if you wanted to add anything in on your little list from earlier.
5: Oh, yeah, um my personal highlight uh from two thousand and twelve was going to Baltimore Comic Con and seeing Jeff Lemire live and in person. I nearly screamed after they announced his name, but I did It would have looked ridiculous. Um, he's a comic book writer. Um, he writes Sweet Tooth and Animal Man. um those are two of my favorite comic books. Um, another comic book I liked uh, for two thousand and twelve was All Star Western featuring my favorite hero, Jonah Hex. And uh, so like Swamp Thing, and the surprise for me was the fact that I liked Aquaman, which is really uh, built up in 2012. And I'm looking forward to uh, Jeff Lemire taking over uh, Green Arrow for for, uh, next year. Um, Music um, uh, highlights uh, the new Mika CD, Origin of Love, uh, which is a great upbeat um, CD from start to finish. And, of course, listening to the Mumford & Sons CD, Babble, which is fantastic. I love uh, folk music. And let's see, of uh, Monsters and Men is another CD I enjoyed uh, this year. Um, they're a group from Iceland, and their CD is called My Head is an Animal, and a big hit off of that is Little Talks. And the song of the year for me has been uh, Fun, whose uh, song, big hit song of this year was We Are Young. And another favorite song this year is uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's Thrift Shop. They're a Seattle rap group. And uh, yeah. that's what I could come up with. I'm not sure if it was okay for me to add music or not, but that, yeah, those are things that just popped into my head. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And by the way, when I was thinking about uh, people having difficulty, I should mention, of course, that's the reason why Ken is not with us. He's had a, a little bit of uh, difficulty and has had to... Uh, uh, make other arrangements for the moment. Ian, are you still with us? Because uh, we've got Mike in the room and I could do with you unmuting him.
1: Ah, oh, terribly sorry. Uh,
2: yes, distracted. Okay, <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, I hope you've come on audio uh, well and you're prepared to talk straight away uh, before we move to this uh, and I will go to Darth next. Um, do you want to pick any highlights and disappointments of the year?
3: Sure, that's what I was coming up with for the past few minutes. Here, I was typing up a list of just highlights and disappointments from the year in entertainment and media that you know that, that I've noticed. Uh, of course, for me, uh, it, throughout my university years, I was a member of the anime club, and there was one anime series that I was a fan of throughout throughout my entire years at uni. And it's a series that came to an end earlier this year. It's a, a series called Bleach. I remember I discovered it in 2004 when it began, and it, when when it started, it was it seemed to be just this series that would end rather quickly. It, would, it didn't seem to have that much of a story, but lo and behold, the, the story unfolded. And earlier this year, and I think it was March, after 366 episodes, the Bleach anime came to an end, and it was it, it, it was a mixed point because the, the, the it was a, a disappointment because it it, it ended, and the, the the manga which was still going on, which of course the that the anime was an adaptation of the manga, so it was drawing its material from there. The, the story was actually becoming—it was becoming even, becoming a bit better because uh, the, a lot of people, you know, the fa- the fans of the in, in the Bleach community were complaining that the the foolbringer arc, which was where the anime came to an end, that was kind of a low point. There was not that much action. The series had kind of shifted from being. Based on action and and just all of these battle scenes to becoming kind of a kind of a drama where we, we had this mystery going on with the this this, this uh, society that the main character Kurosaki Ichigo was becoming involved with and this this mystery of what's going on with these characters and their backstories, so it was kind of shifting tone. The anime did it did come to an end on on a high note. The three hundred sixty sixth and final episode it was a good way to. It had a good look back on the on the series, and it it did conclude some story arcs that were going on, and it, it it did it ended on a high note. And what I'm pleased with with Bleach is that you know the the manga is still going on, the anime is over, but the the manga is still going on. The author Tite Kubo has has been on record as saying it's now the manga is now in its final story arc. But considering how long story arcs play out in the in the manga and in the anime. It could be a year or two or a few more until the, this actual story in Bleach comes to an end, and I'm quite pleased with what's going on in the manga right now. The story's picked up, and one of the one of the big complaints that people had with the with the story so far in the, in the anime is that the main characters they seem to have you know plot armor. They they were they couldn't be killed off. Tite Kubo didn't really like killing off main characters. Well, you know, since the mon- since the anime has come to an end and this final story arc and Bleach has been going on, a lot of main characters have actually been killed off, and that, that not all of those came as a complete surprise. And I it's it's just it's interesting that he's chosen this new direction in this this final story arc, and I'm looking forward to see where this where the story goes in this in this new year. Uh, so bleach has been, has been definitely been a highlight for me for this past year. Just its shift from being an an animated thing to primarily being just a, a print medium, a, a manga, just a, a print medium. So that that's been the highlight. Another highlight for me, of course, uh, in just different things that I watch is, uh, I, of course, I'm, I'm also a fan of a YouTube serial called Marble Hornets and. Uh, It started its third its third and final season, quote unquote, early. uh, I think in January or even February of this year, and it was. I remember I was interested to see where they would take the story because the 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 first season of Marble Hornets is kind of this. the The the, the creators of the series have, you know, they they come out and said that they didn't know that they would be doing a longer series. They didn't they weren't planning for a longer series in the first season. They were just doing okay, let's this idea sounds like a good creepy video idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. But then you know it had a growing fan base and they decided, okay, let's uh, actually try to do a story. So season 2 of Marble Hornets was really the, the creators trying to come up with a story and changing the from the tone from this okay. The, this cre- this rather creepy character, this loner man, is stalking them to actually fleshing up the characters and coming up with the story there. This new series, this third series season, it's been rather it's been rather good because they they've been building this this story and try and it, building the suspense and making it more believable, and it's it's been really good so far. And my highlight with Marble Hornets was, of course, back in October, the Geek Media Expo in Nashville, Tennessee, the second ever convention I've ever actually been to. Where I actually got to meet the guys responsible for Mar- Marble Hornets—Troy uh, Wagner, Joseph Delarge III, Tim Sutton, and uh, Brian Haight. Uh, Brian, not really so much responsible for the series, just their friend who has appeared in several, uh, several entries. So that that was that was one of my highlights. There is actually meeting the guys. That was really there's a lot of fun there that weekend. Um, what else do I have here in my notes? Um, a, a, sort of a sad moment in just in, in 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 media that I, that i that affects me that concerns me is that uh, nintendo power uh, nintendo power was of course the the long-running nintendo official fa- uh, official magazine with, with news and strategy guides nintendo power came to an end this month this back in december with their final issue like what was it volume issue uh 284 nearly 25 years after it started uh, the Nintendo Power magazine ceased publication because Nintendo was no longer interested in carrying it on, as a, as a magazine. They were not interested in it anymore. So that was kind of a you know, Nintendo Power was a big part of my childhood, and it came to an end this past year. So that was a thing that happened. And of course, I also play a lot of video games, and although I've not been playing as, as many of the you know the current releases, uh, there were two notable games from from, from this past year. That I'm a huge fan of. There was one that was released, I think it was sometime in the summer, uh, halfway through this past year, was a game called Fez. It was was an indie game released on the Xbox Live Arcade, and the the creator of the game was actually part of the focus of Indie Game the Movie. If anyone's actually seen that, it was he's a big part of that movie. But Fez was it was a rather fun game because it took this it, it, the whole idea. It plays out like a two side, D side scroller platformer, but it, it throws in a three D element where you can shift perspective ninety degrees either left or right, and it changes the layout of of each world of each individual screen. And there's just this huge world to explore, and uh, it's, it's become a, a huge favorite of mine uh, on on the Xbox Live. Uh, Fez, and of course FTL, Faster Than Light, a game that Kobo uh, has introduced me to. Uh, that's become another favorite of mine. It's it's a it's sort of a, it's a space based game where you you take control of this ship and you have a crew that you you have to you have to assign where they are in the ship and you have to explore all these different sectors in space while outrunning the enemy the enemy fleet and you have all of these randomized scenarios to to play through and y- you never know what to expect every time every playthrough is different because of the randomized. Uh, elements of the game and you have all of these battles to, to go to, to take part in and i hear that in the background yes <laughs> but um yeah it's 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 it, it's a fun game so those are my two gaming highlights of this past year fez and ftl faster than light so uh beyond that um oh yeah uh, willis mentioned uh willis again uh, mentioned uh you know bands and th- there were two bands that i discovered this past year that i've become huge fan huge fans of a huge fan of rather um there's a band called Boards of Canada, which, belying their name, they are not. They're not a Canadian band. They're actually a Scottish band. Uh, but Boards of Canada. They're, they're more of an electronic uh, type type band, where the instrumental music, not really vocal. Some of their songs have vocals, but they're, it's they're, it's more of a music, not so much lyrics. But uh, you know, a lot of their music is kind of. Uh, Kind of has, kind of has like the the old electronic computer style, and the the way the guys behind the band they chose the name of their band Boards of Canada based on you know music you would hear in old you know educational films the the British the the, the Canadian boards of, Ed, of education is where they got their name of their band the, the kind of music they would hear in that and it's it's they're an interesting band. Um, Proto Men is another band that I became a fan of. Uh, Proto Man is they're 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 a rock band, but what they draw their their inspiration from, what their all their songs are about, are based on the Mega Man video game series. If you remember the Mega Man games on the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, they base all their the their game their music on that. the The name of their band comes from one of the characters in the Mega Man series, Proto Man. So that, that those are two bands that I became a fan of this past year, and those are some of the highlights of 2012 in media for me.
2: Okay, and uh, I don't know about these young upstart comics only been going twenty-five years. Never mind that. The Dandy finished publishing after seventy-five years. Now that's a childhood magazine. There you go. <laughs> All oh the right, dandy? So, um, stop Doing the Dandy. Yeah, you can buy if you can get it on the iPad. Apparently, it's a free app.
1: No. Yeah, the Dandy and the. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about the Beano
2: as well, but the Dandy, has. yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't got. I haven't seen it in forever because you know that. Uh, yeah, we used to live off of them. We had uh, Scottish neighbors back in New Zealand, and I had just boatloads yeah. of Pinos oh, and Oh, uh, and...
3: I completely forgot mine. something else that I was going to mention. One huge thing is that earlier this year, I discovered and big fan of Breaking Bad, which just started the first half of its final season this past year. Which, um, if you haven't seen that, it's it's a show that started what about four four years ago, four or five years ago on AMC, and the, the whole premise of the show is that you know, in the first episode you meet Walter White, who's this uh, this 50-year-old uh, chemistry teacher in high in, in a, at a high school. And he learns that he has lung cancer and has, you know, limited amount of time left to live. So his whole thing is, you know, how am I going to raise money, earn money to, you know, to support my family after after when I die? Well, he does exactly what you would do in one of those situations. He starts cooking meth. He div- he, he you know, he comes up with this alternate personality, Heisenberg and his uh his brother-in-law is of course a DEA agent. So there's this whole sort of huge thing going on, don't be discovered. And it's it's just a great show. Brian Cranston is just excellent in that show. I love it. And it's uh, coming back for its last season next year.
2: Okay. Right, um right well we're coming up to one hour and a half hours. Uh, Darth uh you haven't responded in text, so can I just check that you are Still available on audio, and um, from the links that were mentioned very early on prior to the recording, I think. Um, uh, is there any one of those that you'd like to, to 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 use? Because we may, depending on how long it takes, only do one of them. I think the last link you put in, just to remind you, was the twenty best TV shows of 2012, um, and there were a couple of other links prior to that.
4: Sure. Um... Yeah, I've not been looking in text, so I apologize for that. Uh, But yeah, we'll um, move now to a a list that I think is a pretty good list because it's balanced between the United Kingdom and the United States in in terms of what it treats as the 20 best TV shows of 2012. Now, we'll just sort of go through these. I don't think uh, necessarily everybody has seen all of these, but I think that they are...
2: Um,
4: popular enough that we'll get some comment as we go through, and so I'll put that list in the chat. This is what Paste Magazine, which is a a good sort of um, online magazine uh, about culture, has come up with, and and the list is written by Josh Jackson, who is sort of their um, TV guy, really. Um, And... They've come up with the 20 best TV shows of 2012. Now, this doesn't mean that the show debuted in 2012. And in fact, I'm not sure that any of these actually debuted in 2012. Um, but they are ones that um, he picked out as being you know, high examples of good art in 2012. And he starts out at number 20 um, with Parenthood. Now, Parenthood is an interesting um, adaptation This is you know, nominally created by Ron Howard Because of course it was a Ron Howard film That inspired it But actually this is the second time That Parenthood has been Converted into a TV show The first time was in like 1990 Or 1991 Really early um, Soon on the heels of the Parenthood movie And that adaptation Kind of crashed and burned This one however um, Has a lot more legs to it um, and has um, garnered a lot more attention. It it stars some people like uh, Lauren Graham, um, Mae Whitman, who you know if you're really a deep genre fan you would remember it as having been in the um, <laughs> Bionic Woman remake as the Bionic Woman's kid sister, um, and of course Craig T. Nelson, who is uh, you know sort of a stalwart of uh, American situation comedy, um, this is, the difference really between this adaptation of Parenthood and the original one in 1990 is that this one is really more of a, um, a um, comedy drama, I mean, with maybe more emphasis on drama than comedy, um, and, and in that way, it is more like the actual film from which it proceeds um but what's of course important about this is here again you have Ron Howard coming into um you know television um and most of the time that he's come into television um the results have been critically good they've not always been of course successes you know in in terms of financial things but um you, you know Ron Howard is of course significant to the creation of, um, and indeed the production of um, Arrested Development. So Ron Howard is a a good person to have on your side. Not only that, but I mean, you know, his career, what he acted in, everything he touched on television, really, whether as an actor, as a writer, as a developer, whatever, has been pretty good. Um, So it's always encouraging to see Ron Howard back on the small screen in some way. I don't think he, as I recall this show, I've never seen him actually in it, or narrating it, or, you know, in any way involved as a performer, but good show, um, and, it, you know, if you've seen Parenthood, the film, you'll pretty much know kind of what Parenthood, the the television series is like, um, but I would say that this is kind of like, you know, this year's, oh, wow, I don't know how much this dates me or whatever, but it's like 30-something, it's like, you know, it's it's a show that um kind of an unusual format because it's an hour show devoted to family drama stuff. I mean, in a way, you know, if Desperate Housewives if last the last decade was about Desperate Housewives and the the sort of phenomenalization of suburbia and the really heightened reality of that, this is, you know, firmly coming back to the reality of being you know, a parent and being involved in a family. And, you know, it is a a grown-up sitcom in a lot of ways without all any of the veneer of a sitcom, without any of the heightened reality. Um, but the the things that it trades on are the emotions of, you know, living and dealing with other people. I don't know, has anybody in the room ever seen this or have anything to common about this one?
2: Anyone jump in, please.
4: All right, we'll take that as a no and move on because I mean we, we can make through this list pretty easily. Um number nineteen on the list is
2: Thirty
0: Rock,
4: which is this is the final year of Thirty Rock and it really did end well. It 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 ended naturally, it ended before it started to get unfunny. Um and, you know, it was a good reward if you'd stuck with it from the beginning. You would have gotten a lot of references going all the way back to season one. You didn't need that to watch it. I want to, I don't want to suggest at all that 30 Rock is the kind of show that you can't just sit down and start watching and find funny. But it is the kind of show that the more you know about it, the more times you've been through the cycle, the more you get out of it. And the thing that, it, that sort of um, Arrested Development is, you know, the more you know, the funnier certain things become And, you know, just as this thing says, this sums up kind of why this show is just awesome. 2012 has seen the show head into unfamiliar territory as Liz Lemon finally gets her happy ending, marrying Chris so that they can adopt a child. Last week's episode expertly handled the wedding, with Liz doing it her way at a courthouse in a Princess Leia outfit. And emphasizing that while it's a special day for her, it's not the be-all, end-all. I mean, that is kind of uh, what the show has always been about. Great focus on Liz Lemon, you know, the constant sort of references to Star Wars, a recurring sort of meme there for geeks. I mean, it is the geeks' cool show, really, you know. It is just a fabulous show. And it's sad that it's not going to be around anymore, but... One of the most satisfying endings, I think, in sitcom history. Um, certainly, you know, much better than the send-off for The Cosby Show. Um, much better than the send-off for Family Ties, although that was a pretty good send-off. Um, it sort of rivals the send-off for Cheers, in a way, kind of. I mean, it, it, just to say, narratively satisfying, funny, great way for a great show to end, I, I don't know if anybody else saw any of that this year or has seen it at all at any point in its run, but maybe now you'd give some comments.
2: Again, anyone in
4: on these? All right. Well, that's kind of sad. That one gets no comment, but I guess we'll go on through to something I've already talked about, so I'll just say Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Anybody else see it this year? Anybody else think it was just phenomenal?
2: Wow.
3: Wow, that's really sad.
2: Oh, well, actually, just, just like, actually, I did oh, watch
3: the uh I did watch their their election 2012 coverage and just the the the, the way Colbert and Stewart bounced off each other and and on that coverage just great television. Just oh, hilarious yeah. the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, they they've had a few crossovers this year and they've all been pretty good. The one I think it probably the better one is when he I know what you're, you're talking about the actual joint news event or whatever Um, but there was a point earlier in the election cycle where uh, Jon Stewart was on the Colbert Report that was pretty funny as well Um, but you know there's always this rivalry because of course the Colbert show is a spinoff of the Daily Show Um, you know which one is funnier I think maybe last year I think you'd have to say probably Colbert show a little bit funnier but within this year and the Election cycle in particular, John Stewart was unstoppable, just a force of nature, the humor that was coming from that on every level, picking up on the smallest details from the campaign trail. Uh, I, you know, who knows if it will make any sense out of context because it's so you know tightly observed about every little twist and turn of the election cycle, and so if you weren't really into that election cycle. You know, five years from now, maybe it won't make any sense at all. But, you know, as far as topical humor goes, unbelievable stuff. But moving on to number 17, uh, Justified. And this is um, a, a a neat little show that's on uh, FX. Justified is basically about a, a guy who kind of, sort of, I mean, if you look at the picture here on this uh, com blog, it, you might if you don't know anything about justified, you might be forgiven for thinking that it's something set in the 19th century. But if you look more closely, you see that he's sitting on a lawn chair right and you, and you look at the gun, that gun is definitely not a pistol from the nineteenth century. that is definitely a modern gun um, it, it's it, it basically is a western done today kind of. I mean, this guy is a U.S. Marshal, yes, but he is a 21st century U.S. Marshal that's working, I believe, in Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And the approach is very much like a Western, but it's got some sort of, um, I I would say a little bit of a touch of Rockford about it, Rockford Files, Jim Rockford, that character, Um, and also just sort of – you know, you got to say it's got a little bit of uh, Texas Walker Ranger thrown into it But the good part of it, You know, the, the the Texas Walker Ranger is, is Generally a pretty bad show, I think Because um, it's so grossly Overpainted and, you know, over um, What am I trying to say? It's sort of It's not very realistic It's just, you know, Chuck Norris believes himself To be this character And so if you don't have that same belief About Chuck Norris, the show falls apart Um you know, this character is flawed. This character, you know, the, the guy that Timothy Oliphant is playing has a lot of interesting facets to his character. Um, FX is a station that is, for me, a little bit hard to get my hands around in Hawaii, but I don't know about other people. Anybody else seen Justified? All right, well, uh, good show. Go find it. Uh, if not, we'll move on to number 16, Children's Hospital, Uh And this is a little show. I'm kind of thinking you have to have seen uh, uh, this one, Mike. You must have seen this one. I mean, it's on Adult Swim. So it's a little series of, you know, 10 to 20-minute little clips. Not clips, but episodes that are relatively short so that they can put in between other episodes of other shows that are longer. um, And is, you know, in that series of things that Adult Swim likes to do of – you know, making fun of a particular genre of television or film or whatever and this is kind of, as the name sort of implies, it's kind of a soap it's kind of about, well it's kind of general hospital meets uh, ER, but yet it's a really weird take on that um, Have you seen this one, Mike?
2: It's just the one with Henry Winkler, right?
4: Um. Yeah, it absolutely is Henry Winkler is definitely in this one, yeah Um. Sort of you know he's a, he's a character um not, what was that? he's a sporting oh, man yeah. or something yeah yeah
2: administrator
4: no I
3: actually no. have not seen this one so
4: wow uh, okay well um uh, definitely on your adult swim viewing for the future that one is uh, something to watch out for well we'll move on to our next one I swear we are we are rapidly approaching one that Certainly everybody knows, but uh, (laughs) number 15, um, Sons of Anarchy. This is another FX thing, just out of the water, incredibly good. This year, particularly good uh, because Jimmy Smith has been on it, and Jimmy Smith is one of my favorite actors, just coming in as a guest star for this whole year, ruling the roost, kind of. Um, This is, um, you know, it's... (sighs) So hard to explain this show to me. I mean, um, but it's it's a really high quality show that is just I don't know. Just you really got to see this one if you haven't seen this one. Um, Katie Seagal, who of course from um, Married with Children, and that's not going to necessarily be a recommendation to some people for high quality drama, <laughs> but um, in, in this role, just she is complete. I mean, she is proving. Yes, indeed, she's a fine actor who was slumming it on Married with Children. Really, um,
2: Ron Perlman.
4: Ron Perlman definitely in this one, absolutely. Um, uh, it's been going on for a while. I, it's one of those shows that because there's so much else, you know, that's higher up on this list, and therefore, you know, this list pretty much tracks with awards that have been won. Kind of, you know, the higher you are on this list, the greater the chances that the thing has won awards um, kind of um, but because there's so much else going on this one has gotten kind of squeezed out but seriously in 2005 if this is when this was being released this would have swept everything yeah, or if you're talking 1990s if they had released something like Sons of Anarchy in 1990s um, you would have been you know, bowing down to this show for being as good as it is Anybody seen this one? Very well. We'll move on then to 14. Something that's, you know, I, has, I have to believe somebody's seen this one. Um, Game of Thrones. Uh, now moving into, what is it, second, third season?
2: Third, well, I think. I'm not quite sure. Isn't this one that Willis Girls have fan of. I'm sure Willis Girls mentioned.
4: Surely must be. Um, the you know, this is Sean Bean, it's the adaptation of, what the hell is the adaptation of it? I've lost it in my mind. Um, a show that, a series of books that does not have this title
3: really at all. It's based Song on, on Ice, uh, the yeah, Song of Ice and Fire by George there Martin. You go. There you go,
4: The Mar- yes, Martin, uh, Song of Ice and Fire, yes. This is as a, um, there's, a there's a podcast that I listen to that's uh, run by a, a guy who's a PhD professor of Tolkien works, and he calls this, he calls Game of Thrones, what does he call it? Um, uh, the Middle Earth Soap Opera. <laughs> uh, kind of derisively. I mean, he doesn't see it as, of course, as, as you know, well-developed as the world of Tolkien, but um, it is, it's a phenomenon. I know that people, I, it's on HBO, that, that is the main reason that I don't really have that much to do with it. Um, but I know that people love this thing.
2: Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to seeing it because uh, my son very kindly bought my daughter it for her Christmas present. So I'm hoping to get my hands on that, the DVD set of it uh, later. Uh, but yeah, I mean uh, we've got Sean Bean in it and lots of other yeah. characters. You now, <laughs> are, uh, are quite a few on this list that we've already mentioned what you would class as not family viewing. I mean, this has got adult content, oh, yeah. hasn't it? Oh, oh!
4: Game of Thrones, definitely. From what I understand, Game of Thrones is like, um,
3: remember
4: uh, Camelot? That uh, Chris Chibnall oh. show that was on um, Stars. Um, you know that David version, Green, yeah. It, right. Um. Yeah. And and you know Eva Green in all Kimmel, of Kimmel, her glory.
2: Don't judge
4: yeah. Right. 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 I mean, you know. So what that show is to um, Merlin, I suppose. Then Game of Thrones roughly is to Tolkien, I suppose. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of sex that's going on. That's I guess why. It's and nudity,
5: isn't
4: it? And nudity. Yeah. Oh, let's There you go. So this good show has it been particularly good this year?
5: Um, it's been good so far. It starts off uh, starts off again later this year.
4: Okay, but it, what what are we on? Are we on season three or season two?
5: Season three.
4: Okay. So was season two, that is to say the season that was in 2012, was it appreciably better or worse than season one?
5: Um, They introduced a lot, and I do mean a lot of new characters, which made it difficult to follow. Mm I'm hoping that they tighten up things for the next season coming up.
2: Okay. And is each season based on one of the books? I mean, do they basically cover a book a season?
5: Yeah, they, they do cover the books. According to what I hear, I'm still on the first book. <laughs> right, I see. They're very long books.
4: <laughs> but it's all very, uh, uh, isn't it? Like Tolkien, in the sense that you got to know who everybody's related to. I mean, that's yeah, a, that's definitely. a big part of it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and noticing here, Darth, and it might be worth our listeners knowing that uh, there are only ten episodes per series. I mean, is that becoming oh, yeah. more normal now to have shorter ones? I mean, that's something that's acknowledged here in the uk but i mean i mean is 20 still the default number of, of normal episodes on a series or
4: well or I, I mean i think i think that if you're talking in terms of terrestrial american television that is abc cbs whatever they still are very much on the um you know 13 to 20 13 or 26 model you know that is either you are a a one a mid-season replacement, in which case you'll do 13, or you are being tested out for just the fall season, in which case you'll be commissioned for 13, and then possibly get an extension to 26. Um, so I, I think that's one model is the, the terrestrial model, which is basically unvaried since, uh, what would that be, the 70s, really. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the uh, paid model, which is very much, you know, as we see with Game of Thrones, uh, and as we saw with Miracle Day, and as we see with Camelot, and, you know, stars definitely, um, is the 10 episode model, Um, so, you know, surely there are exceptions to that, but it does seem the standard um, pay TV model is 10, uh, which is great, you know, that's a nice way to tell a story. And I think that applies to our next one as well, which is Boardwalk Empire, which is a great, ridiculously overblown um, uh, Steve Buscemi thing. I mean, it is – it's just um, – it's kind of the modern – this makes it sound like Carnival was made a long time ago, but it wasn't. But it is the, the modern Carnival, um, which was a show that was on, you know, last decade or whatever on – I guess HBO um wherein you know you you've got this this particular place which it's New Jersey I think right I mean it is the boardwalk or yeah I think it's New Jersey it's the the boardwalk I think I'm right um and uh you know the the sort of crime boss that is in charge of all that and you know it's um it's 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 just great. If you love Steve Buscemi, you have no excuse for not watching Boardwalk Empire. Um, it and it's also a period piece because it's set during the Prohibitionary. That's the whole thing. Is it's you know, it's Atlantic City, right? Which is of course, and and what's weird about this show now, in the light of Hurricane Sandy, is that it is describing somewhere that you can't go anymore. Really, um, you know, it's set in the boardwalk of Atlantic City which got destroyed by Sandy recently Mm -hmm. you know that's where we saw the I'm pretty sure that's where we saw the you know roller coaster out to sea yeah yeah Um, and it's during the prohibition era right so it's it's everything it's Steve Buscemi right in the heart of it he's the one that's sort of controlling what's going on in this this area Um, and you know if you're a fan of like say, Godfather movies I think you'd like Boardwalk Empire if you're a fan of uh, Steve Buscemi's work on um, like Cohen, comedies. You'd be a fan of it then, too. Um, I And I've lied. I'm just now looking and I'm seeing that I've lied. This one is actually a 13-episode thing. So for whatever we said just then, it was 10 episodes. It's 13 episodes a season, but that still makes it relatively short for uh, an American drama, kind of. I mean, certainly than an American drama on terrestrial television, um, but this would have been, uh, we're in season three right now, um,
5: but good, good
4: series, high production values, historical drama, comedy sort of, um, uh, and of course interestingly started kind of by Martin Scorsese, because he, he certainly was the director of the first episode.
2: Yeah, this is Steve Buscemi, how do you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. I remember him first time in Con Air. But um, yeah, for mm-hmm. this um, in Boardwalk, he's earned him two Screen Guild Actors Awards, a Golden Globe, and two nominations for an Emmy Award. Right. Just in this series.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good stuff, um, especially if you like, you know, historical dramas about things that are not, you know, it seems to me there are, two types, there are three types of historical dramas. Some historical dramas are merely set in historical times and have nothing to do with any kind of actual people. And then some historical dramas are set in a way like Lincoln, which are about you know, real, big, important you know, historical figures that everybody kind of knows about. And then there's the third kind, which is Empire is, which um, uh, is about a true historical event, but one that not too many people knows about. So, you know, the, the character that Buscemi is playing here is a real New, New Jersey political figure from the Prohibition era, but not that many people know about it. And, you know, because of that, maybe some license is taken. It may not be completely faithful to history, but it is, you know, it gets you on the way to thinking about um, a true historical event. Well, number 12 is, and we already talked about it a lot, so we'll just sort of say it. It's uh, Doctor Who. Um, And I do love the description here. And I'm glad, you know, for for my negativity, it really must be said that a lot of people really like this era, you know, and especially a lot of American viewers. The American press on Doctor Who is pretty good these times. I mean, first of all, there was an L.A. Times review of The Snowmen, which is extremely extraordinary. You know, I mean, to think that the L.A. Times would opine about Doctor Who's Christmas special is kind of... Remarkable in a way. And they were pretty, you know, happy with it. Um, and, and I love the the enthusiasm here that Josh Jackson, who's the writer of this list, gives. And, and I love this last line. Doctor Who occupies a world campy but sincere, occasionally nightmarish but full of wonder, unlike anything else we've seen. And, you know, I don't think that Stephen Moffat has destroyed that notion. I mean, that is still a true and fair statement of what the show is, and that statement can be applied really all the way back to Verity Lambert's day. And, you know, if it's still giving that impression to, you know, somebody who is probably, you know, a fairly new viewer of Doctor Who, then great. And it's great that Doctor Who, for this reviewer at least, is up to at least the level of number 12. Um, All right, so our next one is... At number 11, Girls. Uh, again, we're back to HBO, you know, who is just the producer of all things uh, bright and beautiful on American television. Um, and I have to tell you, I have never even heard of this. And I feel terrible that I've never even heard of it. Uh, but again, HBO is this sort of dark corner that you know I don't get to that much. Um, and so I'll just read what it says here. From the series' very first scene where... Hannah Horvath pleads with her parents for money at dinner. Before being told she's going to have to make it on her own, Girls served to define a certain generation of un- or underemployed post-collegiates. Filled with awkward sex scenes and petty blowout fights, Girls was purposely underpolished and was simultaneously praised and criticized. People loved it, hated it, or just had no idea what to think about it. What no one could argue, though, was the show's importance, both in portraying a particularly kind a of per- hmm, that's I think there's a mistake in the text there a particular kind of twenty something, and for launching the career of creator, writer, and star Lena Dunham, a name we're sure to hear for years to come. Well, I've never even heard of her name. I've never even heard of the show. I'm glad it's highly reviewed. It does sound like the kind of show that is. You know, mostly created by women, which is great. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I knew more about it. Anybody in the room heard anything about this?
2: I don't know, but I think Ian wants to know if the girls have pillow fights.
4: <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound like that kind of show.
2: I'm <laughs> sure. Hmm.
4: Um, no?
2: Nope. It seems as though it's a, a younger generation, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, Dunham said girls just part of the population not portrayed in the HBO series right in the City and Gossip yeah. Girl, so they're sort of trying to reach a different demographic of uh, you know you know young aspiring girls and uh, and have something for them. So it's thirty somethings without the boys.
4: Kind of, and it, I mean it does sound like it. You know, it's a uh, this may be the exception. This may be the one show that actually did debut this year, I guess, because it, it sounds. Certainly topical in the sense that, uh, if we're to believe that little snippet, you know, we're talking about uh, people who have been hit by the recession. You know, so young college professional who you know, can't find a job, and so therefore has to move back in with her parents, and there we are.
2: Yeah, uh, original run April the 15th, 2012. These are all 30-minute okay. episodes. Uh, a couple of the mm. others you taught prior were one hour. ones. So and that's again, interesting. Just yeah. 10, 10 episodes in a series.
4: That's interesting. I mean, that sounds like, actually, um, the converse of, oh, what is that Canadian show? Ooh, I can't. There's a Canadian show that is slightly, slightly supernatural, but basically is about a girl who, in fact, has not just graduated, but is in her early 30s, maybe late 20s, and is starting a – who worked at a publishing company – And, oh, I wish I could remember it. But there is another show that is somewhat like this that's on the CBC. But anyway, moving on to number 10, uh, Walking Dead. And, of course, Walking Dead has been around for a little bit now. We're on season three. Um, And apparently the season two finale of Walking Dead was phenomenal. I think if you go over to Logan's show, The Media Outsiders, uh, you will find a number of episodes about The Walking Dead uh, and certainly about the Season 2 finale of The Walking Dead because I remember wandering into that show one day when that was the topic and it was apparently awesome. Um, and indeed, this review seems to say that the new series picked up with the same energy where it left off in the Season 2 finale. Um, and Walking Dead, of course, is about zombies. It's weird. I don't know. It's zombies walking around, um, you know, uh, metropolitan America, trying to take over things, and people who are, you know, trying to stop them from doing that. Um, which is just a horrible, you know, compression of what it is. I mean, we really should have Logan here to tell us what this show is because it's great. Um, but this the show has taken. A lot of people by storm. Um, And I have a friend who's desperately trying to get me to watch this because they say I will be blown away by it. I'm sure that I would. Um, And we know that, and this is a Dr. Who connection, we know that any number of backstage people who worked on Torchwood Miracle Day also worked on Walking Dead. In particular, the award winning makeup people from Miracle Day are doing the makeup for Walking Dead. So there is kind of a little bit of a uh, Torchwood Doctor Who connection to Walking Dead. Um, but it's amazing stuff. Please tell me somebody in the room has seen this.
2: Anybody? Uh, well, there's a, there's a comment actually, but I think that's hmm. referring to I think it's put to. The one before the girls, one we were talking about. Oh, so just what read you that mean? out? Um, oh, really? uh, I've seen a few episodes, and no, she's a girl living in an apartment, and her parents have been supporting her, giving her money, and the parents, especially uh. the mother, has decided to cut her off. Now I'm assuming that, Cybob, Bob, that's, mm. you're talking about the girls and not the 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 parallel one that Darth was trying to remember the name of. Yeah. But yeah, I'm but, sure we've we we do have members of the collective who are walking dead fans. Uh, perhaps not. So, yeah, it's not been mentioned they... a few times.
3: And also since I have not seen walking dead, but uh, just I mentioned this in, in text chat. There's been a series of very highly reviewed uh spin-off video games. They they've mm. been released in episodic formats, It's kind of like kind of like Half-Life Episode 2, Episode 1 and 2, but these are, it, these are just sequential games that build onto each other, and they're at least, as I said, in ep- episodic format, and apparently they've been receiving a lot of high, highly rated reviews. Some reviewers have been claiming it as their choice for Game of the Year 2012. And they're they're based on the show. And from what I've seen about the games, the games are are mainly conversation-based format, where it's a sort of a choose your own adventure style, where you're presented with uh, different options in the, in text, different options uh, ways to reply. You know, I guess you'd compare this with the Mass Effect video games if you played if you played those. Uh, and different, just the the story branches often did no, a number of different directions based on how you reply to conversations and how you react that way. So I haven't played them, but I've heard they're really good.
2: Okay, hmm. and uh, Jeff has just come back in the room. So just to repeat, Jeff, uh, we're just talking about um, uh, Leonard, uh, The Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether you've got anything to comment on that, Jeff, because we're, we're struggling for finding people who have actually watched it. Ian's put in text. He's only seen a couple of episodes from season one. Hmm. Well, uh, all right,
4: then, uh Oh, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Jeff?
0: I just was saying that I haven't seen it.
4: Ah, uh, well, uh, I I know it's it's meant to be very good indeed. Well, number 9, of course, uh Julian Fellows, who is I believe I'm right in saying this, Doctor Who alum Julian Fellows, um has created of course Downton Abbey, which has taken the British Awards uh scene by storm, um and has done the same thing at the Emmys, I think this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Don Abbey uh, do I do surely I don't need to really talk about this that much it's World War I era you know version really of um, Upstairs Downstairs but uh, apparently modern audiences like it better than the modern version of um, Upstairs Downstairs because it seems to have won that little battle of um, course starring uh, Doctor Who alum Hugh Bonneville and Maggie, Maggie Smith, you know, it was the name I was desperately trying to grope for before when we were talking about um, Marigold Hotel. Um, yeah, M- Maggie Smith, the true standout character in a way. Um, it's kind of the, the Fonzie to Hugh Bonneville's um, <laughs> Mr. C. Um, uh, weirdly, the only thing I'd say about this from an American perspective is that um, this is the modern... Day um, example of Doctor Who in the sense that back in the day you used to you know because you were waiting for it to be on PBS. Downton Abbey is air is is broadcast on PBS in America, which is a little bit weird, um, but nevertheless it is on PBS. And because it's on PBS, you have to wait six months or more to get the new version of Downton Abbey. And so I know any number of people who, you know, are really trying to get their British fans to help them out uh, to watch Downton Abbey because they can't wait to see the next episode. And they're having to do this thing where they're waiting for a long time. And, uh, you know, of course, I, as an old school Doctor Doctor Who fan, just look at them and say, you really have no idea, you know, (laughs) how this goes, do you? I mean, this is just what you – if you're waiting for British television on PBS – it should come as no surprise to you that you are waiting six months. Six months is a luxury compared to the amount of time that you used to have to spend waiting for new doctors to come to your screens in America. Uh, but it is interesting that, that the reviewer here is, of course, saying Downton, Downton Abbey Season 3 yeah. is what happened in 2012, but that hasn't happened yet in America. Downton Abbey uh, season Actually, three it starts
5: off uh, tonight on uh, PBS.
4: Right, but, of course, that makes it a 2013 show in America, whereas yeah. it was a 2012 show in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's good news uh, that you know that it is today. What What is it? Spot <laughs> it's time 9 o'clock. Sure I'm not it uh, starts,
2: yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, I know it's part our Christmas Day, people uh, – we once to go and see. It. I don't watch it because uh, the series three. Uh, I watched the first series, which ended with the outbreak of World War One, I, I believe. Um, yeah. Uh, and I thought it was a bit sober for me. Uh, another Doctor Who connection. I don't think you mentioned it, but one of the mm. directors is James Strong, who oh, directed Impossible Planet,
4: lots of other things, Christmas Invasion,
2: Torchwood, yeah, 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 because a lot of, puzzles.
4: in fact, if you dig into the um, the behind the scenes list you'll find a lot of Doctor Who connections a lot of people moved over uh, from, from Doctor Who or Torchwood because of course remember the effect of you know losing Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures has meant that a lot of people who were living in Cardiff now out of work right so they've had to move on and of course they would have skills that would translate over to the production of Downton Abbey um, so yeah a lot of things there but, yeah. sure, sure, I mean, Wells Girl, if you know what day it starts in America, you must be a fan, right?
5: Yes, I am. It starts tonight, uh, I guess, around 9 p.m. Can't uh-huh.
4: wait to see it. Oh, so you haven't seen this, this season yet?
5: Um, no, this, this will be the start of the uh, third season. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in that case, you know, what are the things that you like about it?
5: Oh, uh, it's a brilliant. Uh, it's made like, it's made like a soap
4: opera. That's all it is. is a soap yeah. opera. Yeah, just, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Like that basically
5: explains everything.
4: Yeah, and I like that. And I have to say, as somebody who you know came to watch Downton Abbey sort of simultaneously with the the new version of um, Upstairs, Downstairs, I what I found is both of them are soap operas. I mean, really. I mean, upstairs, downstairs is is still basically talking about the the lives of the people that are, you know, living in the house and how you know the people who live upstairs interact with the people who live downstairs or don't, you know, and that still is a lot about what Downton Abbey is. But for some reason, I found that the the Julian Fellowes telling, um, it was just better. Um, it was just um. I don't know how to put it. It is because the stories of the people involved were more interesting and maybe he gave a little bit less of each story in each episode which made you have to come back to the next one whereas uh you know in the at least in the first season of the new Upstairs Downstairs there there weren't as many episodes and so therefore more of the plot was given away in each episode and that made you know, much less natural breaks in the action that you know, that those those episodes seemed to me to just sort of end and you were like, well, the, there's no reason for me really to come back. It wasn't ending at a dramatic point. I guess what I'm saying is, ultimately the cliffhangers in Downton Abbey are really quite good and and make you come forward uh, to the next episode a lot better. Plus, what I like and I don't know if you agree with me on this Willis girl the integration of the real world events is kind of nice. I mean, yeah,
5: it started off with the uh, seeking of the Titanic, right? Which the hit very me first from episode. yeah,
4: right, and that hit me from left field. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and w- w- and and the thing about that that was so interesting was what would be the impact on other people, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not it's not the story of the Titanic falling. It is. What is the story of people who had loved ones who were on the Titanic? What then happens to their life and and really that is the that's the entirety of Downton Abbey, really isn't it? because you know because the heir of that that household falls in the Titanic, what then is the position of the people? who are living in that household and, you know, what are the implications of that? And that's largely what the the main through line of Downton Abbey is, isn't it really?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, a few things. Just very really quickly, slightly aside mm. on that, uh, mm. my daughter bought my uh, brother-in-law uh, a book for Christmas and it was called Olympic or Titanic, uh, one of these uh, uh, thoughts that it was that they actually swapped the boats around because the Olympic was damaged with a collision before and uh, they had to swap propellers over and things like that and they um, might have scuttle that, so that's a, a great book to read. Of course, with Downton Abbey as well, they have Christmas specials. There's one in 2011, and it was the Christmas special 2012 that uh, people came out to my house, and then about quarter to nine and all and said, well, we did we, we to go now. I <laughs> want to get back home to go and watch that. But um, series four uh, has been commissioned, uh, mm-hmm. and it will begin filming in February 2013. Sweet. Anybody I, think I else, heard it's any? only supposed to oh. go to
5: four seasons. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. No, go ahead.
5: I was thinking, I, I I think I heard it, that it's only supposed to be going to four seasons and they're going to end it. That's what I heard. Oh, I'm really? not sure if it's true. Yeah.
2: Well, that Ooh. might take them up to the beginning of the Second World War, maybe, the fourth season. Hmm. But uh, it? Well, hmm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what year they're up to now. Wait, I they're would not, imagine they could get not a fifth it. season in easily. I, I don't think
4: they're, I don't think they're not really, are they out of the First World War? No, but.
2: Yep.
4: They, they, I, uh, yeah, you're right. They are out of it, aren't they? But yeah. they're not really going, they're not going at hyper speed through these decades or anything. They're just going at a normal sort of pace, w- right? But
2: what I mean, I would assume that would be the natural end of it, the beginning of World War 2 wouldn't mm,
4: it? So Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird,
2: though.
4: I, now that you've mentioned that, because, you know, uh Upstairs downstairs goes through World War 2 or at least the mo- the modern version of Upstairs Downstairs does and and what's weird is there are actually plot lines that are in the to the the modern version of uh, Upstairs Downstairs that are absolutely in uh, Downton Abbey like the whole thing about one of the people upstairs falling in love with one of the people downstairs I mean that's a natural thing obviously that's going to happen in a lot of these kind of drama set in this time in England's history. But the precise way in which it happens is very similar to uh, in both of these shows. And, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of only notice if you're watching both the shows simultaneously and ping-ponging back and forth between the two episodes in the kind of weird way that I watch these two. But it was like, are you you kidding me? Are are they stealing each other's plot lines? It's weird. But it's also weird how... um, Downton Abbey's version is more compelling at the end of the day. Than, well, it's the
2: same historic backdrop, yeah. so there's bound to be similarities. Mm-hmm. And just uh, to read out what yeah. Cyborg put in, well, Upstairs Downstairs did the World War thing back in the 70s, when modern mm-hmm. Upstairs Downstairs was set in the 30s, uh, which might explain why it wasn't as successful. Uh, but Maybe. Um, Maybe. I'm surprised Well, they're going to end up four because, you know, the, the, it has been highly successful and probably ITV's... Um, Start of their revival, I would have thought. Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah. Well, anybody else got anything else on Downton Abbey? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, number eight on this list is Louie. Uh, that's uh, the vehicle for Louis C.K., a, a comedian. Um, and this is an American show um, that, again, is on FX. Um, wow, it has been a long time since we have seen the letters ABC, NBC, or CBS on this list, but that's interesting. Um, Louie, it's um, uh, it's again, it's a thirteen series, uh, thirteen episode series deal, um, and I think we're at this point on either three or four. I think we're coming into four, but. That may not be this year. That may actually be next year. Um,
2: Three seasons, 39 episodes, according to Wiki.
4: Okay. Well, there you go. That's 13 uh, time. Um, But... um, uh, I mean, this is another one that's... It's a comedy. It's another one that's been um, really highly regarded by the the critical community. Um, I have never seen it. I have to be honest with you. I don't. I don't know. It's FX again. It's for the but Hawaiian I'm times right. FX it's hard to say. What you got there, Dave?
2: A great, a notable list for its guest stars: Ethy Abraham, um, okay. Susan Sarandon, Jerry Steinfeld, um, David Lynch, Chris Rock, Joan Rivers, uh, and these are the names I know. Matherit Broderick. I mean, I'm sure there's some of this famous in America that I don't know. Um, I put the link into it, but Kurt, so they obviously obviously uh, Jay Leno. Uh, so they obviously have a, a guest of the week type thing in it.
4: So basically, uh, I mean, the, the sense that I'm getting from the show, and I haven't, again, I've not watched it, but the sense that I'm getting is that, in fact, it is kind of a modern-day Seinfeld. I mean, it is this idea of a stand-up comedian who is living in, you know, essentially the world in which he actually lives as a real person um and then you know makes observations about the world around him that may be completely unfair but i think that is essentially i mean that is certainly compressed but i i don't think it's completely unfair i think it's just a compression of what it is um it it certainly feels like the modern day seinfeld it is not it is not a heightened reality it is I mean it might be a comically heightened reality but it's not a fantastic world it's not you know, a historical situation it's modern day I think it's New York I mean that looks like the skyline in New York I guess, I don't know um, yes it is New York um, and the only material difference in terms of the narrative over Seinfeld might be that um, you know he's a newly divorced father. Okay, so he's got kids. He's got some baggage from that in the the way that Seinfeld was a single man. That might be the whole basic difference, but there we go. Apparently a good show. It does make me... I'm intrigued to see it since it is so high on this list, but I don't know. Anybody know anything about this show?
2: No, other than it's coming back for season four in 2014. Okay. all right, then uh, Then we're moving on to
4: uh, New Girl. Um, this is, uh, wow, I think this is Fox's first entry on the list, and it's a pretty high one. Um, and, you know, what more can you say but two words, uh, Zooey Deschanel, um, who, of course, would have been in um, Hitchhiker's Guide, right? She's. Uh, am I not right about that? Isn't she um, the female star of Hitchhiker's Guide, the movie? Playing I'm just up Martin up Freeman, the
2: page.
4: I think so. Um, but um, this one is, you know, it's it's funny. It really is very funny. Um, it's it, it is another. It's another. It's a, okay. If Thirty Rock is about a female-fronted cast, you know, Liz Lemon, Tina Fey, at the front of that cast, trying to get something done in a male-dominated world, dealing with the comic uh, potential of that, then this is sort of the same thing, kind of, um, structurally, in that, you know, it's a female-fronted cast with Zooey Deschanel, but, um, you know, it's not exact, it's not really about workplace stuff. I mean, it's more like it's female-fronted uh, and again, I hate to make this comparison, but it sort of is kind of true. It is sort of Seinfeld, but instead of having Seinfeld in the middle, it's Zooey here. Um, so it, it's it is really very funny. Um, I don't get to catch it as much as I would like to because um, it's I forget what I know what day it, it's uh, I forget what day she it was. Is. She but, was
2: in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. She also was in Elf. One of yeah. your yeah, yeah, along.
4: of course, of course, of course. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think it's Hitchhiker's Guy where I learned that name because it's such an unusual name. But yeah, she's uh, what's her name? Trish, right? She's she's the uh, Trisha. The one, was, the, yeah, yeah, th- 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 yeah. Th- th- the one that
2: she's likes Zee Fall Beagle. Trisha right, McMillan, Trillion. Yeah, yeah,
4: Trillion. Of course,
2: Trillion. Yeah, there we go.
4: Um, so there we go. It's a good show. Anybody seen it? I again, no, not. Uh, really Uh, good to see make a point of it if you ever come across it stick on the channel for a little while you probably will be rewarded well of course number six moving on uh, and we're going to say the PBS show uh, Sherlock Uh, yes of course uh, Stephen Moffat Mark show we know this show we've talked about it before Um, glad to see that it's on this list glad to see this is high up I think this is I've seen it. J- just <laughs> going forward, yes. It is PBS's highest rated show on this list, so that's good. All right. Uh, how would we like to argue uh, for the 2012 season of Sherlock versus the 2010? Ooh,
2: uh, Better? Voriat is the difference. Uh, I think the first one was better for me first was better for you yeah I wasn't mm. so ingratiated or whatever the correct word is with the, the way that Moriarty was portrayed mm. but then I didn't like a crazy master either
4: Ian mm. what about you do you think the second series better than the first
1: um, I think the first series was better, but, you know, sometimes you always wonder, is it down to the fact that it was, you know, at the time it was brand new and, you know, we hadn't seen this, you know, uh, a successful, yeah. you know, um, modernization of, of Sherlock. We thought, well, this is all going to be, yeah, you know, pants because you can't do it modern day and they did it. And, but then you get second season where you're kind of comfortable with it. Um, they were good. Um, Just, you know, I think the newness was worn off for me a bit, but still very highly entertaining, so,
4: yeah. Jeff, having recently seen Sherlock, do you have an opinion as to which of the two seasons is maybe better?
0: Well, I saw them Um, Mm back-to-back. They were both brilliant, but if I had to choose one over the other, I probably would go with the first season slightly.
4: Hmm.
2: You yourself, Jeff?
4: I have to say I season 2 all the way man. Uh I just, you know, for me that middle story in season 1 is just not up to yeah. uh and and I hate to say that cuz it's as I recall that's my um Urs story, right? I mean that's the one directed by Urs Lynn, I think. Um I could be wrong about that, but uh it's just it's just kind of weak. I don't I don't like that one that much. And I have to say, this has been a weird year because if you think, you know, going on the BBC one broadcast time here not the PBS, um, the Stephen Moffat episode of season two is in the first week of 2012. Right. And I think that is by far the best episode of the entire series. I mean. I don't know how many times I've watched that thing. and Every time I watch it, I cannot look away. It is so well written. The language sparkles. The situation sparkles. Everything about that production is first class. I love it. And it's weird to me that 2012 started out with that Stephen Moffat script, which was, I think, to my mind, unimpeachable. Ain't nothing you can say about that script that I will say detracts from it. Um, But then you get to the last week of 2012, and you get, you know, the snowmen, and the difference couldn't be more clear. (laughs) I mean, it's really, it's night and day. It's like, you know, here's, here's... Good writer. Here's bad writer. Here's you know. It, it's just night and day, and, it, and it's almost like you can't believe they're written by the same person. But for me, absolutely, this season of Sherlock, and not just that first episode, but also you know the the Hound of the Baskervilles adaptation uh, is great, and and the the final one is great. Now, I will say it is interesting the difference between season two and season one is the cliffhanger at the end, right. Um, Surely the cliffhanger of season one is one of the best all time cliffhangers of any show oh. ever. You know? It just is. But at I also. Swim- do- at
2: the swimming pool? Yeah. I didn't like that. No,
4: the cliffhanger, like though. You didn't like that. Anybody with
2: any brains would have thrown the bloody explosive into the water.
4: So you you didn't even like the cliffhanger. You didn't even like the ending of. I thought it was contrived. I mean, but, but I'm just saying, without knowledge well, of the first episode of Season 2, just going off of the ending of Series 1, you didn't think that the ending of Series 1 was one of the best cliffhangers
2: ever? Uh, perhaps it was the resolution. Perhaps my memories. Perhaps it was the resolution I didn't like. Uh, no, I'd, rank, um,
0: I'd, I'd rank it right up there with the best of both worlds from Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. They both had brilliant cliffhangers. Mm.
2: I think I, series, the mm. reason why I didn't like Series 2 as well is because... I think you're right. Scandal in Belgravia was absolutely fab- fabulous episode, uh, yeah. but it was expectations were so high, and then I was slightly quiffed with the Hounds of the Basketball one because uh, hmm. it seemed to be a completely different beast. <laughs> Get that? Oh, oh.
4: different but, beast um, than what? Than the source material? Well, or str- well,
2: for, well, for a start, they they play trickery on us, um, and of course it was. Um, uh, it was a more supernatural sort of vibe that they, they seemed to be giving us. And, of course, what... Yeah, spoilers! Just suddenly hmm. remember that, say spoilers, is not it? Crikey bobs. Yeah, I won't say any more because it'd be spoilers. But I, I felt that episode was slightly different in tone and whatever to the others. So perhaps I thought that I t- the first series was more even. The, I fir- think. the first episode of Series 2 was probably the best episode.
4: I see. Willis girl, have you seen the modern? I mean, the the latest season of Sherlock, or? Oh yeah, I have.
5: Um, I've, it's really difficult to decide between the uh, two series. I, I like them both. Right.
4: Yeah, I mean, they're you know, in a way, it's almost a shame that they are considered as separate series because, in a way, they are merely hmm. you know you separate know? Ins- instances or incidents in the life of this. Uh, did you like, Willis Girl, did you like the uh, inclusion of traditional Holmesian elements in a non-traditional way? That is the sort of introduction of the deerstalker cap. Um, <laughs> that Did you find that amusing or did you find that unnecessary? Oh, it was, was
5: you know, amusing how they did it. Yeah, it was very amusing how he did it. He just sort of put mm. the cap on as he was trying to get out the, uh, get out the place. I where remember do you think
4: yeah <laughs> where do you think that the series based upon the the cliffhanger i mean are are you intrigued by the difference in the nature of the cliffhanger at the end of the two thousand and twelve series
5: i'm I'm more interested by the by the uh cliffhanger from the uh two thousand and twelve series than I am for the um one for two thousand eleven. It's, really, you know, I'm wondering how he's going to get out of that. You know, how are they going to um, do the the back fall? Yeah. you know, yeah, we'll how are they going to bring him back? Spoilers,
2: guys. Spoilers, yeah. guys. We'll be careful. Okay, but uh, I mean, I think it could be said without
4: spoilers that one of the uh, the, the original tra- the series one trailer, I mean, t- uh, uh, cliffhanger is you know about a a an immediate threat to life right and so the question is how do how do you get out of that whereas the series two ending is more esoteric it's more a puzzle it is itself a puzzle right it's not uh-huh. it's not how do you get out of it it is you haven't gotten out of it but yet you must have gotten out of it right so how did you get yeah. out of it but yet not look you know so it is do you think that it's clever for that to be the ending or is that i mean less engaging then an immediate threat to life. I mean, do you like the esotericness of that or not?
5: Heck yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm curious how they're going to do it. I'm curious if yeah. he's arrived. Actually, in I one way, that.
2: I think what Darcy <laughs> leads you without saying it is, you know, the the end scene, would you rather them almost not have had that end scene uh, in it? Because in a way, that that... That make, oh, I suppose you can argue that makes the Chinese puzzle, doesn't it? Whereas it might have been left with you know the pavement scene, that might have been the best way to end. Again, I'm trying to be diplomatic oh, in I, what I say. It, it, I don't know. It did perfectly. Saying. Yeah. Okay. Ended
5: perfectly. We've given you um, a puzzle to figure out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I'm saying.
5: How everything
2: fit together. Yeah. Well, put it another way: in the original yeah. Sherlock Holmes, this you know, it's over. There's no anything else.
4: It's over. Oh, you're talking about in then the, the in books
2: the, start re- Yeah, in the, in the original books. In the literary then, version. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah there, there's, no, there's no if, buts, whens, or why. Yeah, you're done. You know, yeah, it's yeah. all done. Yeah.
4: It's done, and then it's never really explained... Well, yeah, no, it is explained how he gets back. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, hmm. Anyway, uh, no, I, I just find it interesting that the way it ended was almost literary. Almost, it, it was something that invited you as a watcher to rewind the last five minutes over and over and over and over again, and spotting for clues to you know. And that's the same thing you would do if you're reading, right? Because if you're reading, you read something. It's a mystery. You don't quite understand how the mystery is solved, so you have to go back and, you know, kind of reread it and kind of situate it in your mind until finally you see, oh, that's okay. I get how it's coming. And it, it was interesting to me as somebody who obviously has dealt with, you know, cliffhanger, being a Doctor Who fan, you live and die on cliffhangers, right? I mean, that is the nature of watching Doctor Who is cliffhanger to cliffhanger. And I've never quite seen a cliffhanger like that before because it wasn't. It wasn't pulse pounding. It wasn't, you know, oh my god, what's going to happen? It was, okay, this thing has happened, but it can't have happened. There's no way it could happen, and yet it evidently has. So I, I don't know. I
2: just right. I, I uh, know. there's another thing I'd like yeah. to. And again, try sure. to be without being spoilery. But, yeah,
4: it's hard. And mm-hmm.
2: the, the 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 um the Moriarty character sets up something, mm. and then. <laughs> Moriarty does something to himself, yeah, yeah, which I think he wouldn't have done because where's his where's his ability to gloat
4: right I mean. yeah uh, yeah and and it's almost like that's not for some reason that story's not quite finished yet either, because you're like, why did that happen, and are we going and
2: you know are we going to get anything
4: out of that now? If they're track both equally
2: from... clever, if they're both equally clever, they both
0: then... equally... actually, do what we think he did.
4: Right, that's the whole thing, yeah. you know. And it's and you know,
2: non but it's difficult.
4: It is very difficult, and it, you know, in a way,
2: yeah, it's difficult.
4: But the the thing is, you know, in because of Moffat's and indeed Gatiss's track record. Of course, this wasn't written by either of them. This last episode was written by, in a way, the as we would say in you know Fellowship of the Rings terms, the most unlikely of heroes. Um, You know, this is the one that's written by um, the hell's his name, Stephen McDonald. Stephen, what is his name? The one who wrote the really bad episode from Series One, Uh, and of course, more famous perhaps to us for writing Pirates of the Caribbean. What the, (laughs) the the spot, the the black, the black spot. spot. Curse the black spot. What Stephen McIntosh, McDonald? What else is his name? Um, oh,
2: uh, Stephen whatever. Thompson.
4: Thompson. Yes, it's written by Stephen <laughs> Thompson. But my point is wrong. <laughs> gone Thompson. a long way around. Is is um you know it, these are the kind of mysteries that, based on track record from Doctor Who, I would not expect um, Moffat or Gaitas to really resolve. Like, I would almost expect, based on their track record, that what we have seen is what we have seen, you know, and that that's it. Especially on the part of the the Moriarty question, I would almost expect, okay, that is what we have seen, and that's the end of it. I am hoping for more than that. Um, But yet, what is, at least for the present, at least, you know, in terms of we are doing a 2012 review, um, what's interesting is the degree to which... There is ambiguity about both of those questions. And that's what makes that cliffhanger such a great one because it's not simple. It's not one point. It's not this one thing happened and that is what we're worried about resolving. It is these multiple things have happened. You've got to, con- you've got to watch those five minutes over and over again to figure out what exactly went down and how. And, you know, it looks like we're going to need something meteor like that because it's going to be a while before we get any more, which kind of sucks.
2: Right. Uh, I, I'm going to suggest we move on now because um, yeah, we've got uh, a few more. I think we ought to end right. at the three-hour mark. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think we will, will get out.
4: we'll get for there 30. quickly. The next one up is uh, NBC's next entry, which is Community, a fabulous television show. And it must be pointed out this is our second for the shows from NBC that air on Thursday. And I think what this is saying is that 2012. There's going to be one more, so three out of that. Two-hour block on Thursday night, which has been the comedy powerhouse on American television since Cosby, right? So for three decades now, we have had the 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern block, um, On NBC, be the source of great comedy. And it is, you know, as a fan of watching all of those comedies over the years, it is encouraging to me that that is still where you go, despite all of NBC's problems. That is still where you go to get great television, uh, great situation comedies. And number five on the list is Community. Lots of great people in here, notably, of course, Chevy Chase and. Joel McHale and Donald Glover and, you know, just lots of great, great people. Um, And, and of course, the Doctor Who connection here is they have a show within a show that is a parody of Doctor Who called Doctor Space Time. Um, Just a a fabulously inventive show that can kind of go where it wants to go and do what it wants to do. Um, Great, great show. Any fans of the
2: house... They also had webisodes, a little bit like Doctor.
4: Absolutely, you know, spinning things off like that. Uh, I think it's a fabulous show. anybody got any love for this show? Great show. A uh, favorite character on
5: there has to be Abed.
4: Is what? I'm sorry, you broke up there a little bit. I'm
5: sorry. Uh, this is a very <laughs> funny show, and my favorite character on there is Abed, who's played by Danny Pudi. Putty.
4: Oh yeah. Tell what's so great about that character.
5: Um, he's sort of uh, on the autism spectrum, and he's he's the big fan of Inspector Space Time.
4: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I I mean, I love this show just simply because it's the in a way, it's the redemption of Chevy Chase, and, and I love following the behind the scenes stuff because apparently he's misbehaving lately and do, back to his old love hate relationship with NBC. Just you know, but I, I love it because you know. At a time when you know we thought Chevy Chase was completely beyond redemption, he has found his way back. Is and and you know I, for that reason alone, I would watch it. But there's so many other great reasons. Anybody else have any fond memories of this show from this year? No. Well. <laughs> no. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Uh, it is fairly widely available on. Like um, Hulu and stuff, you can usually get the um, like last five episodes or whatever I think on Hulu and watch it that way if you want. Um, of course, I think that would leave you out, Dave, because it's not it's Hulu America, not Hulu yeah. Britain. But there we go. Uh, this one, though, Dave, you this should be an equal winner for both sides of the Atlantic because I'm pretty sure this is. Popular in the UK right now, too, and that's Homeland, our number four of 2012. Um, Claire Danes, uh, to my mind, getting a little bit of a rebirth to her career here. I mean, she had been sort of hot property back in the early 2000s, late 1990s, out of her My So Called Life stuff, which we talked about on another episode. But uh, great people in this Just fabulous people Damien Lewis of course The, oh, the great uh, British actor Who really has the best American accent Of any British actor ever um, And of course Morena Baccarin Who we love from Firefly uh, Mandy Patinkin whom we love from the stage And lots of other places um, Lots of great people that are in this um, And the greatest thing about it um, Is that um, uh, you know, it challenges what I love, and uh, other people might not love this. It challenges what it means to be an American in the modern age. I mean, in in the geopolitical sense, what does it mean to be an American? What does that fundamentally have to do with the way that you live your life and the, the assumptions that you hold and all of that? Um, uh, it's the kind of show that you could never do on ABC. I mean, no way Disney would let you challenge Americanism to this degree. No way. It just wouldn't happen. But Showtime, perfect place for it, at least on the American stage. Um, it is the kind of introspective look at Americanness that you would expect from the BBC, but instead are getting it from Americans, and just, I think it's fabulous. Dave, you've seen this, I would take it, haven't you?
2: I, I saw a little bit of it. For some reason, I think it clashed with something else. Um, but it's definitely one that I will will get to at some point because uh, I, I admire Damian Lewis as an actor. I think he's a consummate actor. Um, yeah. uh, Band of Brothers, he was brilliant in. And notice yeah. by the way, this is a twelve episodes per season uh, yeah. show. For some reason, I don't know.
4: <laughs> yeah, certainly gone on have you? um at least on these classic. Anybody else seen this one? And if not, why not? Because it's it's really, it's quite good.
2: No? Uh, Well, we've just lost Jeff. um, Oh, we did. So we are are reduced people on audio. All uh, right. Let's
4: let's power through to our our top three here because we do want to finish this list. And we're at number three, which is Mad Men, which has been around for a long time now. It's AMC. Um, Phenomenal. Just, You know, from the cinematography. I mean, you could just look at the picture that's on the website here. Just from a still photograph, that tells you something is going on with the cinematography. Um, Just, you know, immaculate costuming. Of course, Mad Men about advertising in America in the 1960s. Everything that would go on with that. Characters, very well drawn. John Hamm, obviously the leader of this cast. Fantastic actor given fantastic lines. Um, you know, they don't pull back from depicting the 1960s as it probably was. I mean, I'm sure that there's heightened reality here as there is on any show in a way, but still, you know, things that you you do see now in uh, American-produced um, versions of the past, you know, we now are taking to this thing of um, sometimes when we look at the 60s or the 50s or whatever, people don't smoke as much as they used to, for example, but not in this show. I mean, in this show, people smoke like they used to smoke. And, the you know, the, the frames are full of smoke. Um, and that's a part of the reason why the lens is smoke. Because I, I suppose what they're really, the cinematographer is actually suggesting is there's so much smoke in this era that, in fact, you know, the cameras aren't clean. I mean, you know, really, that is what he's trying to say, I think. Um, but a fabulous, fabulous show. And it is one, you know, even though it's been on for a while and we're on our fifth season, you know, here we see in this description from from our reviewer here um, that, you know, Mad Men handled all the sensational plot lines with grace and intelligence during its fifth and best season. And I think that is true. This is a, a sort of rare example of a show as it matures getting better, you know. And in a show, and we don't know, you know, how long the show might be going on or whatever. um, And we may look back and say this was the best year ever or whatever. Uh, But it is remarkable that a show that is as long-lived as this gets to five-year mark and says, you know, this is the best show. It is absolutely the best season of this show. And it it could be a jumping-on point in a way, though you would certainly get more out of it if you started early but, uh, fabulous, fabulous show. Dave, you, uh, can, you see. seen yeah,
2: it? Yeah. I've seen bits of it, but um, does mm. it actually move along the timeline, as it were? I mean, it's been going, as you say, since uh, 2008. I mean, I, I know it's not set in modern day times, but, I mean, is it set in one um, hypothetical year, or, or is there a progression of time to the story?
4: Well, I mean, there is a progression of time, but it is not... Well, I mean, at, it's not
2: based in the year 1963, Every year, it's still 1963, if you know what I mean. Or whatever that's, the year a,
4: is. that's an interesting and somewhat ambiguous uh, question, really. Um, in, in the same way that, you know, to take a, an example that maybe you might not like, but to take Happy Days, for instance. Right. Um, Happy Days progresses such that definitely by the end, you know, it is in a different, it is in the 60s. It's no longer in the 50s. Uh, but it, But there were, whatever, 11 seasons of that. It's not like they're saying on Happy Days, 11 years have passed. Um, They're saying, you know, something like eight or whatever. Because Series 1 and Series 2 are definitely in the same year. There's no doubt. You know, I mean, if you look at the marker we have in Happy Days is it's high school, right? You know, they start off as freshmen. They do eventually graduate but the distance between, that's normally four years, but that does not take four seasons. It takes something more like six or seven, really. It takes until um, uh, Ron Howard leaves the show, and that that definitely is at season seven. So it's like that, kind of. Um, time is progressing, but it is not necessarily progressing at a one-to-one rate.
2: Right, so. right. Because it keeps saying the 60s, I mean, 60s was such a great year of, Decade of change. Yeah, which um, part
4: of the sixties are you talking about? Is what you're basically asking, I guess. Yeah, it's it maybe
2: early sixties. It, it
4: certainly, two. yeah, it certainly feels as though it starts in the um, you know Kennedy era, really.
2: Um, but
4: I think I, 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 I'm, try, I'm struggling to remember what there's... is. I'm going
2: to do a plot plot point here. It's about Betty Francis or something. Uh at the start of season four in November nineteen forty six she was divorced she divorced Don and married Henry Francis so I'm not sure whether this is real time storyline so so in season four they're up to sixty four. Yeah, I I'm
4: I'm sure I mean obviously, one thing that you would have to say is um and I'm struggling to remember here whether there is an episode which depicts the, the assassination of Kennedy, but that would that would clearly be something that would, you would think, eventually come into the show. And I, I can't remember there being anything about that. I, I could be wrong. But, um, you know, it feels to me, when I've watched it, it feels like it is 62, 61, yeah. 60. Um, I mean, we certainly know that, that, we certainly know this much. We know that the ad agency around which this whole thing revolves was definitely started in 1960. I mean, that, that is, that's just said. It is 60. Um, but I, again, I don't think it's going, you know, one season to one real-life year. Yeah,
2: okay. I mean, that's only a <laughs> yeah. proliferal thing, but what I meant was they basically taken a historical... Not sorry, They've taken a, a snapshot of early '60s, and for all intents and purposes, they're stuck in that sh- snapshot of early kind, '60s. yes,
4: they are. I mean, it feels like that is it. But it also feels like you know.
2: That might one of them worked out. for Lyndon. Wow. Uh, one of them worked for Lyndon B. Johnson's 1964 presidential campaign. Stan Ritzo, uh, recurring season four. Oh, uh, well, there you go. Uh, work for Linda B. Johnson, so so, we're, so we're, okay. if we're up to sixty four now, anyway, presumably.
4: Mm, okay. Or even sixty five, because that would that would mean, you know, if you worked for them in the past, you you don't stop that work until November of sixty four, probably. All right. So anyway, yeah. Okay. Yes. So I mean, certainly it seems like it's pre sixty five. Then you'd have to say. But I mean, his, there's his, another his,
2: reference to '62 earlier with one of the other storylines. So it's. Fair um,
4: yeah, it, it is definitely not something that you know dominates the action. You know, it is not it is not important to know precisely what year of the '60s you're in in order to figure out oh. the plot. Like it might be in some other historical things. I mean, certainly in *Downton Abbey*, you know. There's some pretty big markers there. I mean, you're talking the sinking of the Titanic. That's a pretty big deal. That's what starts the story. That is, in fact, you know, the event that permeates the action of *Downton Abbey*. I don't, there's not really anything like that in *Mad Men*. I don't think. It's more just this is the '60s, deal with it. You know, early '60s. Okay, this is the. the you know what it really is? I tell you what, it's like watching, um, the Dick Van Dyke Show exactly To me, it's exactly like that, where you know this is the early 60s. We'll see what happens with people who live in that era. End of story, kind of. All right, so that's our, our third one on the list. We only have two more. And the second one, I'm just so thrilled that this made it so high on this list, and I think it's absolutely right. Uh, Parks and Recreation, which is our, our third in the trio of shows from the NBC's Thursday night lineup. Um, and this is a quirky little show that has fought and fought and fought in the same way that 30 Rock fought in the ratings. And eventually, you know, maybe because of the inertia at NBC, maybe because NBC didn't have anything better to put in there, eventually it has kind of sort of gotten enough uh, of a ratings bounce to sort of be kind of secure about its place. It certainly must be loving the fact that this is the last year of Thirty Rock because that makes it, in a way, um, you know, more secure again at Thursday Night Parks and Recreation is about, uh, it's another one of these female fronted shows. In this case, Amy Poehler, who of course was uh, a cohort of Tina Fey's at Saturday Night Live, and she is a minor official at a town. Well, I guess at the town, she's a major official, but the town is small. So who cares? Um, and you know, the things that she has to do as an elected official to manage this town, um, call parks and recreation, because usually in most small towns, the parks and recreation department is one of the biggest divisions of town government. Um, and, you know, it has a, a lot of people on it, notably Rob Lowe lately this year. I mean, that is the big deal kind of from this year. And, of course, Rob Lowe, to my mind,
2: everything Rob Chevy, Lowe. Has, is he another Chevy Chase, one that was out of it? And
4: no, back. no,
2: no, I don't think he was out of it.
4: Um, I mean, Rob Lowe, of course, um, has had some interesting personal yeah, um, revelations made about him, but he's one thing. has never been—I I don't think—ever been accused of him is that he like did what Chevy Chase did, and that is just blatantly not complete contracts. I mean, that was the whole thing. Yeah. You know, Chevy Chase on early Saturday Night Live, he walked out of his contract, and that you just don't do. You know, yeah. Um Rob Lowe quit West Wing, but of his own accord to go off and do other things. That those other things in some cases failed is not really his fault and doesn't, you know, by all accounts he is an abs- these days, he has grown up and he's a just a uh, you know, hardworking guy who has a good sense of comic timing um, and has improved Parks and Recreation no, doubt, no end really and, you know, Rob Lowe, to be honest Rob Lowe is a very smart guy and Rob Lowe will has appeared on morning talk shows alongside you know people who are obviously intelligent like George Stephanopoulos who was you know Bill Clinton's press secretary to begin with um, and you know has the complete ability to talk about current events at a, a high level you know so he's not a slouch intellectually but he's a very very funny guy and great sense of humor and he's added a lot to this show in this year and I think this show has gotten you know it started off pretty well a couple of years ago but i think this year it has become just ridiculously insanely funny um so again it's a show that you can easily get on hulu you can watch the last 5 episodes um a little bit harder i guess if you're outside the us i'm not even sure if this is a show that would it could it could translate out the, outside the us i'm sure it could you know be sold to british television i'm not sure if it is though um but really really Good, good show. Anybody else got any opinions on this one? All right, then we'll move on to the one that I really do expect that we will hear from Mike on, and that is, of course, uh, the fabulous, the conceptually delightful Breaking Bad, which is, according to this reviewer or and, indeed, Paste Magazine, the number one show of 2012, and uh, Breaking Bad... Mike, take it away. Reiterate what you've already said, if you would.
3: Yeah, B- Breaking Bad. It, it, it's a show that's it's halfway through its fifth season. Uh, the basic premise of the show is, you know, on the on the first episode, he meets this this character, uh, uh, Walter White. It's his, his what it, I think it's his fifty first birthday, and he's a he's a high school chemistry teacher. He lives out in New Mexico. And he, on the same day of his fifty-first birthday, he goes to you know he has a doctor's visit and uh, uh, and finds out that he's he, he's diagnosed with with lung cancer, which is kind of a surprise. Everyone else who who knows him his wife and his son and you know his, all of his different relatives. They're surprised by that by that because you know Walter White has never smoked a cigarette in his life. So there's that whole thing. Or but uh, Walter White, he's he's this brilliant character he's he's a genius he's he's a really smart character and, and there's we eventually find out this backstory where he he years decades ago he was friends with these other scientists, and they they came up with this company, Gray Matter. Uh, this is sort of a scientific research company, and Walter had a, had a had a really good idea for an invention, but he didn't pursue that and left it left that to them. And so he you know, he chose to become a you know high school chem, a chemistry teacher. So you know he's diagnosed with lung cancer. He's told that he has about a year or so to live, and then he starts wondering, you know, how is he going to pay for you know provide for his you know money for his family after after he's gone you know pay for their their son's uh you know college education and just pay off the, the rest of the mortgage of their house just money issues and so you know you uh, there's there's all these other other circumstances that you learned about in the first episode uh his uh, Walter's brother-in-law uh, Hank he's a he's a DEA agent and uh, at one point Walter decides to go on a on a on a on a, on a on a on a mission with a, on a run with him when uh, when Hank is busting up a, a meth lab, and, and and so Walter sees firsthand you know all these different people involved with making meth, and so Walter starts putting numbers together in his mind. He starts seeing how much meth goes for. And decides you know what. I'm going to cook meth and so he goes out on his own. He finds one of his former students, uh, Jesse Pinkman, who is a, basically a, just a you know like a co- like a high school college dr- basically just a ho- high school dropout, uh, druggie in the area. And so Walter says, you know, what, would you like to make a lot of money? And so they, they partner up. They Walter cooks the meth, and Jesse's the the sort of the street guy who goes out and sells it. And it's this it's this ongoing story of. Okay, Walter is he 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 has this dual persona. He he comes up with this, this this name for his meth persona, his meth cook persona, Heisenberg, and becomes well known in in New Mexico and even across the border as Heisenberg. And even the the DEA agency is of course tracking him down. They know there's this mysterious Heisenberg character who's m- making this blue meth. That's this new formula that. That's just very popular and sells extraordinarily well. And so Hank Schrader is trying to track down this Heisenberg, completely oblivious to the fact that it's his, his own brother in law. And it's the, the way the series plays out, it's halfway through its fifth season right now. And it's just so well written, just this how he, uh, Walter White hides this from his family and just how he carries on this whole meth business with with not trying not to be found, trying not to be you know arrested and there, there are the all these plot elements that go back and forth, all of these characters you meet just it's just so well written so well acted brian cranston he's i think he, he's won a number of uh, awards for his acting on this show, and it's well deserved he's just a brilliant actor brian cranston there's a uh, there's an episode towards the end of i think season four. Toward the end of season four, I think, where uh, everything is falling apart for for uh, Walter and the guy that he's wor- that he's working for, um, uh, the, the the guy that he's wor- working for is is you know is, he's decided that he no longer has a need for for Walter White, so he's going to kill Walt off. So Walter, you know, he, he finds his attorney and he finds this other guy who this a guy who makes people disappear. Uh, Takes people and puts them in new lives and changes their name and just hides them, uh, makes people disappear. But uh, Walter, apparently, his wife Skylar has spent a good portion of his earnings to help this other guy, whose uh, whose business has is, has fallen into financial trouble due to accounting uh, accounting basically burning the books on purpose, and so Walter doesn't have enough money to pay off the uh, the guy to basically save his family. Keep them safe, and so there's a scene towards the end of that episode where Walter is uh, going, visibly going insane. He he starts off crying, and then he just laughs maniacally, and just excellent, excellent acting on Brian Cranston's part. Uh, so the, the, he's basically the, the main reason to keep watching the show, and just the the way the show plays out from season one through where we are now, halfway through season five. There's just this interesting dynamic of how the character evolves. It's like you start off the first few seasons you start off rooting for Walter White because you know he's the main character he's the good guy but there's this there's this gradual shift in the character where he becomes less and less Walter White and bit more and more Heisenberg the villain and you start not really feeling as sympathetic it's a really good show very well written very well very well filmed the cinematography in the show is brilliant throughout the show and it just keeps getting better as the seasons go on it's uh, what amc airs it so it's on basic cable satellite it's uh yeah i definitely recommend the show i'm glad to see it on the list and glad to see it at number one
2: but it's not is a yeah. heavy drama is it is there some light elements too? no
3: no well there are light elements to it but it's a really heavy drama too mostly but
2: right.
4: so they are playing a bit of dirty pool here though aren't they with this quote-unquote last season and we're not quite sure if it's the last season but
3: no it's it, been confirmed it's been confirmed the guy uh, uh, right. vince gilligan or whatever his name is his, he he confirmed at a at a comic-con at san diego comic-con i think last year that it was the final season
2: but the oh, really? they're yeah. doing 16 episodes in the final season for some reason well they I mean, seven in the first and then two three thirteens and then it's a 16
4: yeah but it's weird yeah that the, Last season is called a season, a singular season, because that is the stretchiest definition of season I have ever seen in my life. Because yeah, that's, time- I,
3: that's how they're doing it. It's because they—it's they, season five, but they're splitting it in half. But there's so much time in between. They're—they're they're right now filming the final last half, but it's, you know, a year apart. Exactly. Whatever we'll call the season
4: 5B, to use Doctor Who terminology, is starting a year almost to the day from season, uh, from episode one of the same season. So that's not really season five. That's season five and season six. I mean, by normal accounts, that would be how that would be done. I don't know why they're quite doing that. Maybe because they didn't know a long time, they, being AMC, didn't know exactly when they were going to air the second half. Hmm, I don't know, but I mean, I'm just looking at the there the, are the, a the couple of very fascinating things about Breaking Bad from a statistical standpoint. In that the um, the the critical rating, you know, and this is based on Metacritic, which is you know you you can like or dislike their math, but basically the the critical appreciation of this show has grown every single year um, such that now for season 5 A that we've gotten so far um, I mean it's like 96 out of 100 uh, respondents believe it's a good show which is just phenomenally high ratings I mean Doctor Who has never gotten anywhere close to that just to clue you in on Metacritic's vision of what Doctor Who is so that's an interesting thing. You don't normally see that kind of progressively better show, and that, that's fabulous. That it's like that. Another thing that that strikes me is the um, the ratings for this latest season are ridiculous. I mean, they are about twice as much as for the average of the earlier seasons. I mean, if you take all of the earlier seasons and put them up. Like, before, this was a show that got, you know, BBC America Doctor Who ratings, which would be, you know, a million to a million five, which is respectable for cable. That'll keep you on cable, but, you know, it's nothing unprecedented. But then, you know, for season five, it's moved up to, you know, hovering around three million which for AMC, I mean, that is, that is insane. I mean, for, as a point of comparison, because we always talk about BBC America, you know, they're claiming the snowmen got, I think, 1.43 million. And Breaking Bad is getting close to 3 million, so close to twice the audience for this than for Doctor Who, which is impressive.
2: I mean, I mean, I'm noticing it, there's a pink teddy bear recurring character. I mean, surely that's got a little bit of satirical edge to it.
3: Oh well, that that was uh season two, I believe, and that that was actually kind. Of, the way that was used, it's, it's the, the the weird storytelling that that it has at times, where the pre-title sequence, the teaser just before the the title sequence, uh, season two episodes had this oftentimes had this scene that would play out in black and white and, and grayscale it would the this mystery this scene of uh the, like a pool someone's pool and a plane crash and or some kind of ambulance some a lot of emergency responders some something had happened apparently someone had died and just the, the mm-hmm. throughout the season the, that scene expanded a bit and we saw a bit more of what was going on and it's like we saw like walter white's uh vehicle his uh Aztec, that's an, become another iconic bit of the the series. Is Walter White's car? Uh, his the windshield cracks looked as if some some people had died, and the teddy bear that was kind of a recurring theme there, a motif of that season. Um, it sort uh, of clued in as to what was going
2: on. As Willis, girl, have you seen? Uh, we're we're under pressure for time now, guys. But uh, oh, Willis, girl, oh, yeah. is this one you, you you've seen now?
5: Oh yeah, I've seen it. I loved it. Um, I'm catching up on it on Netflix. I like what I've seen so far. I Leave them up to season three.
2: Right. Well, certainly I put in text. The show has oh, won industry in the- awards and been nominated for 117 awards.
3: Well, and my- I just remember another bit of guest casting that they had for, I believe it was season two. Uh, John Delancey was uh, was in the show too. Ah. When I'm but,
4: but, cute.
3: Yeah, and, and you'll also find a lot of, uh, you know, speaking of John Leslie, who of course
4: is from course, Miracle Day, um, you'll find a lot of Miracle Day connections uh, with Breaking Bad. Uh, but one that jumps out at me looking at the um, episode list on Wikipedia is John Chaban, who directed an episode in season three, it looks like, and of course, and wrote it, and John chavan of course, was one of the writers on *Torchwood: Miracle Day*. Um, but I also know there there are a ton of like production personnel uh, connections because uh, I, I gather that they are. I think they were filmed in basically the same place. I think I think *Breaking Bad* is an L.A. based production, and of course *Miracle Day* was L.A. based as well, which is you know a little bit unusual these days because a lot of things tend to be Vancouver based. I'm pretty sure this is an L.A.-based production.
3: I'm fairly certain it is.
4: Yeah, because they're taking advantage, just like Miracle Day did, they're taking advantage of the Schwarzenegger tax incentive thing that Schwarzenegger did to try to attract people back to L.A. Yeah. Good show though. I mean, it's good that it's on on top, and that of course would bring us to the end of this uh, one particular view of the the best things about television in 2012. Uh, Lots of other things to consider, I suppose, but that probably won't be what we're talking about next week, will it, Dave? Uh,
2: No, we're going to we'll be putting up. uh, We may consider talking about those um, 25 worst TV shows because that would be. Uh, quite a compliment. It, 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 what's the word? A complimentary show to this one. But uh, Ian and myself will get on that. Of course, those people who are members of the collective who are on Facebook, check out the Facebook page for that. Um, we, we're going to get back as well to doing uh, a review of Merlin Series 5 as a studio show, myself and Ian. Um, but uh, thank you for leading that section, Darth. Uh, I don't think there's anything that really... Um, Uh, you know, there didn't seem to be anything that shouldn't be on that list and there seem to be quite a few series that I think at least some of the people in the room will begin to explore and check out and um, thank you to all those people not just all those on audience but the others that have stayed around one or two have dropped off as we come up to three hours, ten minutes, I know Ian has got a pressure of time now so let me thank you again, Darth (laughs) and everybody else who contributed to that And Ian, I'm going to let you take us out.
1: Okay. Uh, Yep. Uh, Stay tuned for for what's coming up next in the Cultural Collective and uh, um, listen out for the uh, uh, Merlin Review Show. Um, Hopefully, uh, I'll get another couple of people to to come along. Uh, Gail, check your Facebook page. Um, And uh, yeah, so until next week, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC.
2: And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor.
4: Goodbye, everybody.